could get out of here. <laughs> like, I don't think you'd be any more welcome down there right now. <gasps> I mean, let's leave the party. I'm so sure. <laughs> Kill. I'll meet you out front. Wait a minute. Where are we gonna go? I don't care. What are we gonna do? Anything. with one from his beginnings to his um most recent output well this is nick cage we're talking about so since uh this movie he's also made maybe five movies well definitely one movie is is out but that is of course as i said nick cage because we are looking at martha coolidge's valley girl and chris mckay's renfield and here with me to look at all the faces of nicholas cage is the host of not just the podcast Cobweb, but also the YouTube channel, which has been doing amazing, amazing things and branching out all the interesting ways. It is, of course, Daniel Epler. Hey, how's it going? Hey, Lindsay. I'm doing so good. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on. And thank you for suggesting this, um, because I know you suggested it just after Renfield came out when I hadn't seen it. And I was like going, Huh, no, that could work. And then watching them really close together, it was a really fascinating double just to look at the the breadth of where he started to where he is now, uh, as in terms of, of the cage. Yeah, I don't remember how the idea came to me exactly. But um, yeah, it's because I, I saw Renfield and I expected it to be terrible because like everyone I know told me it was terrible and I ended up really liking it. So I kind of wanted to uh, have an outlet to defend it. And yeah, this idea came to me and I really like it because they're extremely different movies, extremely different Nicolas Cage performances, but actually have some similar themes, which is interesting. They real that's what I was noticing when I was watching it. It is kind of this um yeah, they do. It's about what's what is it like dating this this guy who um is a little full on, I will say in both movies. And they're both movies about characters that need to get out of a toxic relationship and one of which is so the character can be with Nicolas Cage and the other one is so the character can get away from Nicolas Cage yes my favorite line from one Brinfield uh I can't remember Brinfield's full name which I'm feeling like a terrible Dracula uh fan uh but yes I am Brinfield and I am a codependent but yeah I just want to congratulate congratulate you on the Cobweb YouTube channel I think it has been doing some really interesting things um just branching out and not just classic movie which you do a lot but you are looking at different kind of blu-rays and kind of pretty much it's almost tuning into what you've been watching lately and i'm not mad about it 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I, I'm having so much fun with it. Um, it's fun to really just talk about whatever I want. Um, I try these days kind of trying to limit myself as little as possible and just doing whatever. Uh, but this month I did my first live stream and I just put out my first vlog. So, um, it's, it's fun. Cause YouTube is a constant learning experience and I'm always trying new things and, uh, it's it's just fun. That's all it is for me. I really like it. No, it's really, really fun. If you haven't checked it out, they are just really informative, really great. And it's just a really interesting way. And just watching you learn how to learn how to edit a little bit more on YouTube has been fascinating. I'm like, oh, you can do that. I didn't realize that was possible. <laughs> yeah, I actually figured out a lot of new things with the vlog that I just put out. So um, yeah, constantly learning new things. Because I, I felt like with podcasting, I kind of got to a point where I hadn't learned anything new in a while. I probably should have, but I didn't. And I just kept doing the same thing. Um, so now learning new things, it's uh, it keeps it keeps the old brain going. And uh, it's it's enjoyable. <laughs> Yes, yes, it is. Just because I know you, as much as you love classic movies, sometimes you do want to talk about 80s action. And with Col with the podcast, you've been able to, especially with the John Carpenter um, series that you are currently doing on there, which has been so much fun. You can kind of, I like how you can kind of mold in different things and everything like that. So um, it's a, a podcast I've always enjoyed since the beginning. And just seeing how you've kind of grown in the whole thing has, has been amazing. Well, thank you. You've always been so supportive of me and I've always appreciated it so much. Oh, no, you, you do good work. With that, we might as well, I guess, jump into, oh, my, the, that we listen to a lot of 80s music then, thanks to the, the soundtrack. This is another uh, Martha Coolidge soundtrack. Um, she has a, uh, watching a lot of Martha Coolidge, I realized that how important music is to her movies, especially when we're getting into uh, Valley Girl. So with that, as I like to imagine, my imaginary theater curtains are opening and we're about to start the glory that is Bella Girl. Daniel, what is going to be your first trailer? Okay. So my first trailer is, uh, I uh, see, I love Valley girl. It's, it's like, uh, it's an eighties teen movie. I feel like every eighties teen movie that John Hughes was not involved in is kind of like the B tier eighties teen movie, yes. but I've always been more, uh, passionate about the B tier of eighties teen movies. And so I'm very passionate about Valley Girl, but also about this one. And I've talked about this movie so much lately because I want other people to check it out so bad. And I, I finally got one person to check it out. I know I got Matt Bledsoe to watch it. Um, but I'm going to show the trailer for Secret Admirer from 1985. Summer! Summer! If you can't put your feelings into words, put them in a letter. Listen to this. I, I don't know how to tell you what I want to tell you. I'll never find the nerve to give you this letter anyway, but I just love you more than words can say. I'm in love. I long to have your arms around me and feel your body against mine. Oh, radical. But be careful where you put the letter. Take your hands off my daughter, Fruit Lips. Oh, it's the mailman. My mother's in there crying. I hope you're happy. What did she say? I really like it. Michael, she loved it, okay? You look great. My son's in the next car. He's with my daughter. Well, what do you want me to do? Do it right. Oh, she loved it, whoa. Which I love so much. It's starring C. Thomas Howell, Lori Laughlin, and Kelly Preston. And C. Thomas Howell gets a anonymous love letter in his locker. And his friends convince him that the prettiest girl in school who he's always had a crush on wrote it, who's Kelly Preston. So he starts moving in on Kelly Preston. Uh, but his best friend is Lori Laughlin. And oh, gosh, I don't know. Did she possibly write the letter? Anyway, um, 
all that all that like teen drama is really fun i love the cast i've kind of gone on like a kelly preston binge this year i love her movies so much i love her but all this stuff with the parents is like maybe even better because the love letter accidentally gets circulated around the parents and they all assume things about it of like my coworker wrote it to me or my husband is cheating on me or they assume all these things because this letter and there's all this crazy misunderstandings happening among the parents that's so funny. So um, this is an amazing 80s teen movie. Also like Valley Girl, it's rated R. Um, they don't really make rated R teen movies anymore, but um, I think that's kind of an interesting thing about the 80s. But such a great movie, so much fun. And um, hopefully showing this trailer will just get some more people to check it out. No, I when I couldn't remember the title and then you started talking about this. I'm like, no, I have heard you talk about this a couple of times. So um, no, is it, this is on my watch list. I do need to watch it. I, it yeah, I mean, the, the R rating thing is interesting because a lot of, even John... Actually, I can't remember if John Hughes movies were R-rated. I don't think they were, but they were definitely on that edge. Just because I think the way they, I think there's a little bit more of an exploitation element to teen movies in the 80s than I think there is now. Um, if that makes sense, especially when we get into Valley Girl, which I think was meant to be an exploitation movie of some description. That's how it started in the very early, early things of it. But no, I do need to see this movie. It does look absolutely adorable. It, is this movie you talk about in another one where a guy pretends he's from New Zealand? Oh no, that's um, oh, the boyfriend school, or AKA oh, yeah. don't tell her it's me. That's a different, <laughs> this is a much better movie than okay. that, but I like that movie too. <laughs> this is like a legitimately good movie. I really do think. No, it looks absolutely fast. No, oh, Fred Wood's in this. No, I do I do need to watch this. Yeah, this looks, oh, Corey Hank. Yeah, I'm watching this movie. Like it's, it will happen. Um, D Oh, this cast is actually really good. D Wallace. Yeah, this it's. Yeah. Yeah, this is something I'm going to have to watch. And a lot of mentioned the parent element because the parent element is so important to Valley Girl. Like a lot of teenage movies don't really put as much emphasis as to what Colleen Camp and uh, Frederick, um, not Frederick Marsh, sorry, that's the wrong decade, Frederick Forrest <laughs> uh, um, uh, put into it. But yeah, this sounds like an amazing trailer. I need to watch it. And that is great. You know, a smart thing about including like a good parent element in a teen movie is it kind of ensures that more age groups can watch and enjoy the movie, because even if you can't relate to the teenagers because it's not your generation, maybe you can enjoy watching the parents because like when I so easy a is a teen movie I really like and it's exactly like the teen movie of my generation. It came out in 2010. I was a junior in high school. So that's that is my generation. But also, I love the parents in easy A so much. So no matter how old I get like I always love watching Stanley Tucci in that even if I'm not as into teenage stuff anymore so that's just a smart thing to do that I think more teen movies should probably take take that advice I think yes because my generation's uh teen movies were the nine mid 90s specifically that whole run and so which the parents were generally if they were in it were an afterthought I think the only one was clueless and that was um I am forgetting his name why am I forgetting his name um oh, yeah get out of my seat Dan 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 Hedaya. Yes, that's it. Um, I love him. Chest hair. Yeah, he is so so good in that movie. But he's yeah, the parental elements in a '90s teen movie are really there. It's like teenagers kind of rule the world in those movies, and um, all they want is the prom. But that is a well, actually, this is actually the problem with those movies an afterthought. It's not the main focus. It's just like oh, and by the way, now there's a prom prom scene. Um, but no, I. I'm definitely going to be watching that trailer. Uh, off mic, I said I've been going on a, I went on a bit of a Martha Coolidge kick after watching Valley Girl. So my next trailer 
it's going to be a movie that I can't believe that I've only just watched, but it is uh, because I think way more people have seen this uh, already and have a very specific nostalgia for it, but I'm going to go for her real genius 1985. Where the superstar of smarts is Chris Knight. You have a jacuzzi? Absolutely. His hobbies violate the laws of gravity. What are you doing out there? Floating, sir. His homework could win a Nobel Prize. He's one of the ten finest minds in the country. And his IQ is higher than most people can count. I can't stand it. Have you ever seen a body like this before in your life? She happened to be my daughter. Oh, well, then I guess you have. But when Chris makes the scientific discovery of the century... You did it. His classmates want the credit. You're not number one around here anymore. His professor wants the publicity. Hi. That's it. And the military wants to use his discovery as the ultimate weapon. Where she pretty much did the same thing for Val Kilmer she did for Nick Cage. I understand why people love this movie so much. It rules. <laughs> it's... Her movies tend to be very relaxed, like they're almost hangout movies. And I think Real Genius is so much that hangout hangout movie. And watching it, you're just like, oh, yeah, Val Kilmer's being a, a movie star. And then you watch William Atherton going, oh, yeah, I know he got typecast, but he's so good. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I'm looking at Martha Coolidge's filmography, and I kind of think of her as like one of the great 80s teen directors. And it looks like the only two 80s teen movies she actually made were Valley Girl and Real Genius. Yeah. But it's like the strength of those two movies. You just think of her as one of the top people of that decade in that genre. And I, I would say she is. Um, Real Genius, I actually, I didn't see it that long ago either. And I've only seen it the one time. But um, it's so much fun. And isn't there like an insane amount of popcorn at the end? Yes. Um, I'm, okay, so I'm kind so... of remembering that. Yeah, that I had to go out and get popcorn. I was so in the mood for, I'm like, oh, so you just filled a house with popcorn. I am now going to have to find popcorn to eat because now I, I'm instantly in the mood. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's essentially about this kind of very special, it's um actually, it's essentially Oppenheimer, but with babies. Um, or very young teenage, uh, teenagers. <laughs> um, William Atherton keeps recruiting teenagers to make very big science uh, things for a college but they don't always know what they're making or why. And it is just, it, it's a kind of like an 80, perfect 80s slacker movie. I mean, Val Kilmer is a very smart guy who's just trying to get out of any responsibility. He's so charming. He's so athletic. He's just leaping off the walls in this movie. And yeah, it's just really fun. And you're right. She only made two teen movies and it was Valley Girl and this, but because of those movies, that's what she's known for. Um, but two pretty good movies to be known for. I love how you just super casually threw out like the greatest little schlock and off pairing, which is real genius and Oppenheimer. Yeah. Like that's so great. And you just like threw that out like it was nothing. <laughs> Mainly because I guess I got still Oppenheimer on the brain, but I'm like, this is actually Oppenheimer. But if Oppenheimer was William Atherton and a complete bigger dick than he that actually Oppenheimer was, this is this is fascinating. <laughs> Oppenheimer, but you swap out Killian Murphy for 85 Val Kilmer. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, yeah. So it's, but yeah, just watching it because uh, everyone's always told me about this movie. My partner loves it because his the favorite, favorite actor is Val Kilmer. And so finally sit down and watching, I'm like, oh, I understand. I understand all of it now. So, but that is going to be my uh, first trailer. What is going to be your second trailer? 
Okay, so for me, um, Valley Girl is like a quintessential 80s mall movie. And I love an 80s mall movie. And by mall movie, I mean uh, it takes place a lot at a mall. Uh, so I'm going to go with one of my favorite 80s mall movies that will also kind of hint at the horror to come later on in this double feature. And that is Chopping Mall, which I think is also from 1985, if I, I remember right. right. I didn't look it up. Oh, has a new security system. Completely mobile user-friendly, and absolutely fail-safe. But something is going wrong. There's another one of those things out there. Way to pick us up one by one! He ain't getting me. Yeah, Chopping Mall, which a lot of people don't like, I get the sense, and I kind of understand because the first time you watch it, it's kind of disappointing because it doesn't really live up to its title or its poster. It looks like a hack and slash slasher movie. It's not. It is about teenagers who decide to stay the night inside a mall and just like have sex and screw around. And the mall is full of security robots that look like they're out of Doctor Who or something. And they're just kind of rolling around laser blasting kids. But um, it's a movie that like every time I watch it, I like it more. And I could truly throw it on any time because the cast is so much fun. I mean, the only two that are really recognizable are Barbara Crampton and Kelly Maroney. But that's more than enough. And the rest of the cast is pretty fun, too. Um, so just love to I, I just enjoy watching these kids dick around in this mall. It's a fun hangout time. And then when the robots come out it's so fun and silly uh i think it's a jim wernarski movie um, and it's got a lot of fun character actors that pop up like dick miller and that guy who's always popping up as a bum especially in john carpenter movies i can't oh. remember his name no i can't but that either. guy yes i know you're talking about it no oh yeah he Vegas? pops up in 80 genre movies constantly yeah i know exactly what you're talking about i do love quite enjoy this movie um i watched it when all i'd heard about it it's not the poster but when you realize that it's yeah. about a, a teen dicking around movie which I, I'm a huge fan of that genre. I mean, give me fun house, give me shopping mall. <laughs> and then you add like killer robots. I'm like, yeah, this is great. But my favorite thing, it does have, uh, you're right, a lot of good character actors, but it has Paul Bartel and uh, Mary Warnoff um, playing the same characters yes. they played in a little movie called Eating Roll, which I am delighted by every single time I watch this movie. It is really weird and idiocentric. Am I saying not since I'm saying that we're in the wrong context and can't say even pronounce it. But it is just this really kind of weird movie on the outer rim. I mean, Dick Miller's bit about just like telling off a robot and then getting electrocuted is kind of one of the best parts of it. And then you get Cal Maroney and Baba Crampton kind of dicking around. So it's, no, I really, really enjoy this movie. Good, good. I'm glad you're also a fan. Yeah, no, it's it's just delightful. Um, and I think some people, when they watch horror, don't want delightful. And I'm like, but why would you want delightful horror? It's the best kind of horror. Um, oh, I agree. I was just talking to Hayden about this, about how like we were talking about how kind of with Dracula, how the last voyage of the Demeter bombed. And um, and I said, I, I think because Dracula has been used for so many years now as an action character or a comedy character, comedy like in Renfield, mm. people don't people don't expect a Dracula movie to be scary. And yes. that's still the main reason people watch horror movies today is to be scary. But 
Like, I love cozy horror. That's how I said it. Yes. I was like, why don't more people want to go see cozy horror? I mean, and it's you've seen, yeah, you've seen Demeter? Yeah, I saw it yesterday, actually. Oh, yeah, because that is a mixture of cozy horror with kind of some, well, that movie goes way darker and harder than I was expecting to, when, to go into it. So I was like, oh, that movie just did that. Um, but it's got this really kind of coziness that did remind me a lot of like a Hammer Horror movie. And I'm just like, yeah. This is kind of what I, I love cozy. I love when Russell Crowe does an Italian accent and does like a Spanish Inquisition thing in the in the Pope's Exorcist. I like it when you're on a like a almost like a remake of a, what they would have Hammer Horror would have done in a making that uh, the Demeter. Francois Ainsling would have had way more boobs in that movie. But yeah, it's that kind of same thing. You're right. I, I like cozy horror. I, I want to be kind of immersed in the fogs or just the dicking around occasionally it doesn't have to be all scary all the time no yeah for sure in fact i would say most of the time i'm not grabbing scary horror movies i'm grabbing cozy ones yeah oh me too um i'm i'm very much with you there okay for my final trailer i am going very much for um probably too intense actually but it was only on the second rewatch that i noticed that Julie and Randy are very much a um, loose retelling of Romeo and Juliet. So I am going to go back to my um, teenage version of that, which is going to be way too intense because it is the Baz Luhrmann Romeo plus Juliet. And I haven't seen it since I was 15, but that's the trailer I'm showing. In fair Verona, where we lay our scene, two households, both alike in dignity. From forth the fatal loadings of these two foes, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean, a pair of star-crossed lovers take their life. Who is it that you love? Gentle Romeo, I felt death's love, pronounced faithfully. My heart's dear love is set on the fair daughter of rich Capulet. Romeo! Thou art a villain here in someone else's Turn it off! Turn it off! Romeo, so simple! Come on, Romeo, fuck my love. I only love. I was going to say, I've never seen this. Um... I I put it on once. It was like either just before or after I saw Elvis. And I was like, yeah, I should see more Baz Luhrmann. And I put it on. And I was just kind of immediately like, oh, I'm not in the mood for this. I don't know what it was, but it was like so crazy. And like, I think like um, John Leguizamo, is he, isn't he in that? I think he was like He's screaming, but it's, yeah. but it's all in Shakespearean language. And I was just like, you know what? This is not this is not my mood right now, so I haven't seen it. Um, I'm not knowledgeable about Shakespeare. I I mean I know Valley Girl is kind of a kind of a Romeo and Juliet kind of story, but that's only because I know the super basic idea of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, I mean it's all you really need is the super basic idea of, and it's been going through so many stories of you know the star-crossed lovers who don't kind of get the opposites attract even. Um, I haven't seen. Romeo and Juliet that came out in 96 I think but I know at the time I think it's only five times in the theaters like this in Titanic I had a right oh, weird wow. thing and I think that sort of made me into a bit of a Shakespeare nerd as a teenager um was this movie but I remember it being very brash bright a lot of screaming in Shakespearean language it was kind of meant to be the Gen X cool um Shakespeare movie so I'm kind of going off my memory I do remember um a few things and you go back and you look at the cast you're like Brian Dennehy was in this movie um but it is that's how I think I played that soundtrack 
um so much during my well into my 20s like it was like every I listened to it all the time um I can almost hear the playlist in my head now so yeah I, I wanted to have some Shakespeare on on here because it is kind of referring to such a well actually like uh when we get into Renfield playing with a, a very classic piece of literature but um or a classic piece of something else I guess when we get into Renfield but it is yeah, I just wanted that on there. That's the one I remember. I don't know if I actually want to go back and revisit it. I think I'm just kind of happy with my 15-year-old memory of it. But yeah, it's it's uh, definitely doing a thing. Um, Yeah, and with that, we're going to be getting into actually a movie I only saw, I think it was only this year because it was for this year's F This Movie Fest, wasn't it, for 83? Yeah, that was your first time watch. Valley Girl. She's out there somewhere. This is the story of a boy from Hollywood who never dreamed the girl he'd want most was down here. Hello. Hello. Who invited you? Oh, wow. You mean you have to be invited? Well, that explains it. What? Well, everyone is dressed for it. See, if I had been invited, I wouldn't have known this was a costume party. Right. <laughs> It's the story of a girl from the valley who never dreamed she'd ever be seen with a boy from over here. Like I'm not getting out of this car. All right, but when they attack the car, save the radio. So when can I see you again? I'm here with you now. I know. This is the story of Randy and Julie, the way they come together. People who try to pull them apart. Like, don't you think they have parties over there? Oh, where? At the zoo? This geek that she's with could scar her for life. I'm gonna be mad boy. Yeah, it was my first time oh, watch. Wow. And okay. I loved it. Like, it was such a surprise. Um, even watching it in a format where everyone's tweeting and you're reading tweets more than you're watching the screen. I think I stopped tweeting for about the last chunk because I'm like, oh no, I'm just I'm just enjoying this movie now this is this is fun uh, when was the first time that you watched uh valley girl so i had wanted to see it for a long time because i'd always heard it was a good 80s teen movie and that's a genre of time period i really like um and uh i don't know how it was in australia at least but over here in america it was not streaming at all for a long time it was super unavailable um it had an out-of-print dvd that was really expensive there was just no way to see this movie and then it got a a shout factory select blu-ray release and i kind of held off on it for a while because it was one of those blu-rays that never went down in price it was always 30 dollars. and finally i just broke down i was like okay fine i really want to see this movie here's my 30 dollars. take it i'll take this blu-ray uh so i got it i blind bought it and i watched it and this was like a few years ago and i liked it i was like okay yeah i like this this is good and then it just like stuck in my head and i literally watched it again like a few days later i was like i i want i want to watch that again um so i watched it again like just a few days later and then i was like oh no i really love this movie and it has become such a comfort movie for me i have rewatched it so many times and um and I think now it's my favorite 80s teen movie. There's no 80s teen movie that I've watched more or that I love more. So uh, I'm I'm just gaga over this movie. Uh, no, I can see that. I mean, I think when I was watching it, because uh, it was really hard to find. It wasn't streaming anywhere. It wasn't rentable. I think by the time I was a bit worried when I heard 
oh, by the way, we're doing Valley Girl for 1983. I'm like, oh, can I even find this movie? Oh, wait, I can rent it. Yay! And now it's gone off renting, which is really weird. <laughs> and um, but I still it would allow me to have my digital copy, which was like because I bought it. Um and and my Eureka Blu-ray has not arrived yet. So um but it was I saw I they're putting it, that out. That looks really pretty. Yeah, really so pink. It's which is really, really weird because the movie is so not pink, but yet all the well, the famous poster that doesn't have Deborah Foreman on it is very pink. God bless posters in the 80s, Chopping Mall and, and Belly Girl. It's just fantastic. It's um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not the movie you're going to get at all. Now it's like almost too honest. In the 80s, it was the complete opposite. Just but like I, here's every character in the entire movie <laughs> on the poster, just so wrong. you know everyone in here. <laughs> I blame I blame Scream for that poster design because so, we're going to show you everyone. Um, right, yeah, totally. I think even you're if right they're in the movie, yeah, even if they're in the movie for five minutes, I'm just like, oh, we need to stop this. Cats are getting too big. But I think I got caught up with the um, excitement of the general day of when you're watching five movies, you're on um, Twitter, you're just kind of just enjoying everyone's kind of reactions. And there's kind of like a, um, I know if this movie refers to it every time they do Fantastic Fest as the Hopkins bump, all the movies generally get a bit of a Hopkins bump when you're watching it this way. And but Valley Girl was the was actually probably the standout for me, actually, more than anything else. And it is a movie that kind of sticks in your head a little bit. It's the one that you're like, actually, no, I really, really enjoy this. I am I love Deborah Fulmer's performance. I mean, Nick Cage is such a weird, which actually suits why I was pairing this with Renfield, this weird kind of creature who's just kind of emerging from um the sand in this movie like he was only 18 when he was cast so he's all legs and arms and nothing else it's um but no it is yeah it's one of those movies that just you just kind of go no i want to go back and live in this world when they are saying oh i'm sure a lot um and the specific language of of the valley which now kind of was looking back i was looking at what most actually 80s teen movies except if they weren't John Hughes was set in the valley, which is actually another interesting thing about the bear, uh, the, almost the bear here. I mean, even Karate Kid, I think, is meant to be a valley movie. Yeah, because he's a New York kid moving yes. there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it was just kind of this interesting thing to sort of go, oh, that's a very specific 80s thing. And they all kind of have, I mean, even Saturday Night Live with uh, Bill Hader did the, did the valley kind of thing where they're all just kind of this very broad surfer accent. Yeah, but I I don't know. You're right. It does live in your head. I I enjoy this movie a lot. <laughs> yeah, my mom was a Valley Girl in the '80s. She lived ah. there, and she likes to do like the the yeah, like totally for sure voice that apparently was you know um, was associated with girls of the Valley, Valley Girls. Yeah, apparently the movie. Uh, you're absolutely right. It started out as an exploitation movie. They just wanted to make a movie called Valley Girl. Um, and even Martha Coolidge talked in. The, I listened to the commentary, which, by the way, is so good. And I am not a big commentaries guy. I can get bored by them fairly easily. Me too. And Martha Coolidge's commentary is so great. It's like. I think if you're interested in low budget filmmaking and like the practicality of it, it's such a good thing to listen to because I didn't even know I'm going off a little bit of a tangent. I did not even know how low budget Valley Girl was like I couldn't even tell. And then you listen to the commentary and find out it was extremely low budget. They had very little resources and all of the things she did 
to make it look as good as it does on such a low budget is amazing. And she's very practical in how she talks about it. And it's very easily to, uh, easy to understand, see what she's doing. Um, let's see, where was I? Oh, yeah. So she talked in the commentary about how she was mandated by the producers that they had to show naked breasts four times because it's an exploitation movie. And she had no problem with that. She's like, OK, fine. But can I do it however I want? And they said, yeah, we don't care how you do it. Just make sure you do it. And she's like, OK, cool. So she did. Boobs. She points it out. She points it out everywhere in the commentary. She's like, OK, here's breast number three. Now, <laughs> it's funny. Um, but yeah, it was supposed to be an exploitation movie. And apparently when she showed the movie, I don't know if it was totally the finished product, but she screened it for the producers. One of them, when it ended, stood up and said, oh, it's like a real movie. Like they weren't <laughs> expecting it. They didn't expect anything from this. They just wanted some trash with boobs called Valley Girl. And they're like, oh, you made a real movie. And they got really excited about it and gave it a bit of a better release than they were expecting to. <laughs> Um, that almost happened, I think, with Dirty Dancing, actually. I, well, oh, really? It, yeah, Dirty Dancing was just meant to be a, a director VHS kind of thing. And then they watched it. I went, actually, this is really good. We should actually release this. No, oh, yeah. Speaking of Chopping Mall, Dirty, I, re I recently found out Dirty Dancing was a Vestron movie, yes. which I would have never guessed. It doesn't yeah. seem anything like most Vestron movies. No, that's, I think, why. Because they were just like, yeah, we'll just put this on um, VHS. We'll put it in the video stores. We'll make a little bit of money off it. Then they watched it and went, oh, we need Swayze's hips on the big screen. There's no way you can deny. deny they were absolutely right. Yeah. Um, but no, this does not. Yeah, it's got that exploitation kind of thing, as you kind of said, with the B tier of teen movies, but that aren't John Hughes. So they usually will have boobs in it. They usually are kind of very rough and ready around the edges. Um, everyone was kind of making these exploitative um, teen movies like, um, oh, that canon one about the Virgin. Now I'm forgetting its name. Um, the Last American Virgin. Thank you. Kind of like those kind of movies. And um, sometimes it can be really good. But yeah, you're watching it and you're like, oh, no, this is, you can't tell what the budget is. Because to hear it was actually a really low budgeted movie. I'd go, yeah, I mean, I know they're reusing locations quite a bit. But at the same time, every everything just is clicking into place. She knows where to put the camera. She's sort of understanding the story she's trying to tell. When she's showing boobs, um, it's not just to show boobs. It's to usually display a specific emotion toward what's happening, especially the famous E.G. Daly when she's with. We'll get into Tommy and how he's the worst and how he just needs to be punched in the face a thousand times. Um, yeah, she's kind of very much taking this opportunity of, okay, the, the let me make a movie. Let's see what I can actually do with it kind of thing. And then she makes Bella Girl and kind of essentially discovers Nicolas Cage. Like, I know, I can't remember who she wanted. Um, and he dropped I know Judd Nelson was one of her top choices. Yeah. Who, who to like totally makes sense. Yeah. That completely, she would want him. Completely makes sense for that, for that time period. But he went off to make a little movie called Breakfast Club, I think was the reason why he said no. And then saw a photo of Nick Cage and went, let's go that guy. And um, well, he's already been in um, another great high school. I think also Valley. Uh, I'm not sure if it's in the Valley. Fast Times at Richmond High. Um, oh, yeah. For one quick shot, he's in one that quick movie. Shot. That's maybe the quintessential 80s mall movie right there. It really is. And then all of a sudden now we get Nick Cage and you're just watching him going, oh, so this is actually kind of where he started. And he's already kind of... He looks like he's 16. It wasn't far off. He was only about 18, 19. And he's already a movie star. That's, yeah, it's kind of impressive. Yeah, I love the story of how he was casted. Um, so Martha Coolidge was having trouble casting this role. And she said she went to the casting uh, 
director and she said stop sending me so many pretty boys and she grabbed the first photo off the discard pile and said get me someone who looks like this and it was Nicolas Cage's face so they're like okay so they bring him in and at that point he was Nicolas Coppola because he's related to Francis Ford Coppola that was his name but he said I watched this interview about this movie with him and he said he just decided when he went to the casting office he said let me just see what happens if I don't use the name Coppola, I just want to see if I can get it anyway. So he went yeah. in as Nicolas Cage and um, and he got casted. And apparently when Martha Coolidge was trying to she was trying to use him by getting him out of certain things with Rumblefish, which was another movie he was in, a, a Coppola movie. And she called them and she's like, hey, I need you to let me use Nicolas Cage for these dates, blah, blah, blah. And they said, we don't have anybody of Nicolas Cage. We have a Nicolas Coppola. And that's literally how she found out that he was a Coppola. Which I think is such a great story. So she had no idea. Uh, yeah, because he doesn't... I mean, yes, the Coppola family is almost a dynasty at this point with Ronan and Sophie and, of course, the godfather himself. Um, but he doesn't necessarily have that Coppola look to him. He just kind of looks like... Well, he looks like Nick Cage. Um, so, yeah, it'd be so funny to go, yeah, I need this guy. And he's like, oh, no. She's like, oh, God damn it, it's a Coppola. <laughs> You're related to Francis, Jesus Christ. Um, he's his nephew, isn't it, or something like? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I've always loved it. One of the things, if I could just transport myself anywhere, would be Christmas Day at the Coppola household for Christmas, because I think it would be like a show and tell art project kind of thing. It would just be like all these <laughs> amazingly creative people in the same room. Um, it'd probably be a lot more boring than you think it's going to be, but it would be an amazing thing to just go. So, what is it actually like when all these people get together and they're all related? Um. No, I, I love that. And I love his performance. Like, I actually love both him and um, Deborah because they are so young. So they actually feel really natural. Like, actually, all the girls do. The way they talk, the way they interact with each other. I think the only one I can feel is acting is the guy who's playing um, Nick, uh, Cage's friend. He keeps, I keep okay. thinking it's Quentin Tarantino because he looks a lot like him. <laughs> me. Um, and when he doesn't speak like him, I'm always surprised. But he's kind of the one that it feels like he's a little bit more acting a little bit more, but that's it. Everyone else kind of feels like they just got pulled off the street at the mall. And now they're suddenly in this movie, which I know wasn't the process, but I think she, the way this, the, the way this movie is cast, that's how it feels like it. Yeah, it, I agree. They do feel really, really natural. And another thing Martha Coolidge talked about on the commentary was that they had very little film to actually shoot this. So they had very little time to waste. So almost the whole movie is take one. She said she would do a second take just as like a safety, just in case. But most the entire movie is just one take. But they did a ton of rehearsal to prepare yeah. for it. And she said that she thinks that you get the best out of actors that way. Um, you you get their best right out the gate before they're exhausted and such. And she might be right because everybody does feel really, really natural. It doesn't feel like people are really acting. Um, Nicolas Cage, he, he, he finds this great way to be like, very, very natural, but still eccentric in his Nicolas Cage ways. And he finds a lot of weird ticks about the character, um, a lot of the things I found out were improvisations that I didn't even know that just Nick Cage just comes up with stuff. Um, and Deborah Foreman's always really natural. I love Deborah Foreman. And I was trying, I was thinking today, like, how can I describe why I love Deborah Foreman without just without just saying she's cute? And I don't know how because she's just so cute. And that's like that's <laughs> what is so great about her. She's just one of the cutest little actresses you've ever seen. To be fair, yeah, that is she's just she is adorable 
And even in something like uh, April Fool's Day, where she's kind of essentially playing two characters. Maybe. If you haven't seen that movie, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Um, but she, even when she's kind of more in the dark emo Deborah Foreman, she's still kind of adorable. It's, um, yeah, she's just got this really charming smile. When she smiles, it kind of just lights up the room and she looks so tiny. Yeah, she looks, yeah, that's the only way I can describe why I like her is that she's just adorable. And I like watching adorable people on screen because, you know, I like movie stars. So it's, um, yeah, that is kind of the way. Though when you sort of said there's only one take, my first thought, oh, is that way? That's that weird scene between Colleen Camp and uh, Frederick Forrest when they've just watched Deborah, go, uh, Deborah Foreman go, or Julie go to the prom. And then she's giving him, she's kind of weirdly shaking him. Like she's trying to seduce him, but she's kind of ends up shaking him. And I'm just like, oh, wait, what is the, oh, that was a first take. Okay, Colleen Camp's got a weird. Oh, that's right. Apparently, this is I, I I keep bringing up the commentary, but I thought it was so good. Um, apparently, those two actors who plays her parents, they were both in Apocalypse Now, yes. which I admit I've never seen Apocalypse Now. But apparently, what he said was a reference to Apocalypse Now, and it was oh. just like an improv. It was like an inside joke between the two of them. Yeah, I don't know how it was a reference, but but that's what Martha Coolidge said. Well, Colleen Cooper plays a sex worker, and I don't. I've only seen the extended cut. I'm weirdly not the biggest fan of that movie. But and I completely forgot that Frederick was in it. But it's I think they have they it's a sex worker soldier relationship. But that's probably um the the reference. So <laughs> um okay okay yeah, I gotcha. You, yeah, now I, I have Apocalypse it. now on Blu-ray. I just need to watch it one day. Yeah, it's speaking of Coppola. It is Coppola at his most. Um, actually, no, I don't know. I don't know. It's very Coppola. You can tell he's got the ego and thinks he can go into the jungle and make a movie and not kill everyone. And then almost kills Martin Sheen kind of movie. But I know how to explain it. <laughs> the documentary on Apocalypse Now, I, I enjoy more than the actual movie. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. That's interesting. Yeah. But a lot of people love it. It's a lot of people's favorite movie. And it is very much uh, an, an odyssey. Yeah, but it's it's just fascinating to watch. And yeah, it's, I love how simple it is. Like, it, she knows that she's only got so much film, so much sort of time to make it, everything like that. And it's... Yeah, so she just kind of goes for it. And I I love the party scene when they first meet. It's such a good kind of just two people looking at each other and smiling at each other. And then it goes from from there. It's just, it's such a sweet, um, it's such a sweet moment of when of that meet you. Yeah, it's great. I love that party scene too. Um you know, you've got all of these really, really preppy 80s kids and such. And then you get Nick Cage and his friend come in and they're punks and they've got all their punk costumes and their crazy hair and such. And they're looking at everyone else like they're freaks, which um, which is funny. And yeah, when they first see each other, like there's so much chemistry, like it kind of reminds you, speaking of Romeo and Juliet, it kind of reminds you of the scene where Tony and Maria see each other in the original West Side Story. Yes. Um they have so much nick cage and deborah foreman have so much chemistry in this movie um and apparently they did date a little bit while they were making the movie which is kind of unsurprising apparently they did not want to do the breakup scene which is such a kid thing to do when you're dating someone it's like oh but i want to do the breakup scene because we're dating and it's like so apparently your mother had to kind of cancel which is probably why it's so heartbreaking when they do actually break up because they're kind of getting into the emotional a bit of it too much um, and that feels like a very actual real moment of a, a girl who's kind of made a decision trying to stick with it and this guy who's just 
gets way too angry about it very very quickly but it, within that it feels like an actual kind of way it would play out but no the um the scene of the bathroom is so sweet i mean kind of weird like i don't know if a guy just kind of turned up in the bathroom because i've been waiting for you for like an hour i don't know how i would have taken that personally but maybe because <laughs> it wasn't nick cage i don't know let, let me ask you this so um when when they were going to cast nicholas cage one of the producers said uh Martha Coolidge and some other woman, I don't remember who it was, probably the casting director, but said, but is he sexy enough? Hmm. And they said, we think so. Is Nicolas Cage sexy in this movie? Yes, I think he does. I think he has this weird quality. Oh, especially he's got a brooding kind of James Dean thing about him. I think it's probably the best way to describe it. He's, um, you can kind of definitely tell why if, if uh, Julie is tired of Tommy, and she's doing her best to like try and get out of the situation. She sees the complete opposite and this brooding kind of, it's like him in a uh, moonstruck, which is very much very sexy in that movie. It's that kind of, Oh, I can see he's that dark brooding type that you would absolutely, I think he is very much sexy enough. It's kind of hard. Cause I'm like, he's a child in that movie, but yeah, <laughs> well, you're right. I didn't mean to make it weird. He's 18. He's 18. He's 18. Um, Maybe he is yeah. 18. But um, <laughs> uh, it's just because I'm like, he's all arms and legs. So not kind of, but no, I get the sentiment that he is definitely sexy enough. He is he is that bolt of lightning in a very kind of world of polo shirts and white man, uh, white man 80s dancing that um, you would just look at him and go, yeah, absolutely. So let me, let me ask you, I feel like I, in my time talking about movies on the internet, have been pretty vocal about how much I love Nicolas Cage. Are you a big Nicolas Cage fan or have you always been a big Nick Cage fan? Did you ever find him like too goofy and over the top and ridiculous? Like what, what are your thoughts on him? Um, yeah, I was going to sort of ask you, we should do a top five. And I went, we're recording tomorrow. That's not fair. Um, no, I am, a Nick, <laughs> I am a big Nick Cage fan, probably not as big as some other people. And I've definitely gone on an off and on journey with him. Like, and then, and I think it was more in the nineties when I sort of, um, so definitely in the 90s, I was like all on. Then the 2000s, I was kind of a snob. And that's when he started to do a lot of his more TTV action um, movies, which now I've grown to love. And then, um, but no, it's, it's I am now. Yeah, I am a huge Nick Cage fan. I think he is an actor that no matter, and you can see it even in his one shot in Richmond High. He is constantly giving everything he has to a role, regardless of, of the movie. And... Um, you can tell, especially in something like Moonstruck, when he's like, I lost my hand. Um, it is, he's he's one of the great actors because he can do everything because he's constantly giving everything he has to a role, whether it is a small role, whether it is a big one, whether it is um, something like Adaption, where he's having to play two versions of himself. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a huge Nick Cage fan. Do you tend to have a few favorite Cage errors or movies, or is it just like, you're just happy to be in the world of cage. I am happy to be in the world of cage. I probably sought out, I think of he's, he's my favorite living actor. Um, so of all actors today, he's definitely the actor that I've watched the most movies just because he's in it. Cause actually I don't rewatch movies. Very, I, well, I don't watch movies very often only because a certain actor is in it, but Nicholas cage is a rare one. Who's like that for me. Um, so I, I often say that I think the movie that made my generation big Nick Cage fans was National Treasure. I think for the generation before me, it was like Face Off, Con Air, The Rock. It really was. I, yeah. I was like barely born when those came out. 
But National Treasure came out when I was 12. And me, I remember me and my entire family love National Treasure. Like everyone we knew loved National Treasure. It felt like it was like a huge deal, like around 2005, like everyone loved that movie. And I love it to this day. Um, so I, I, I do credit that movie for kicking off my Nick Cage love. Cause I didn't see his like nineties action movies until much later. Oh, um, it was called but, yeah. <laughs> that mullet and that accent. I was like, what the hell is this? Oh my God. It's so much fun. I, I so love Con Air. I love Con Air um, and I love National Treasure. I mean, it took me a while. I think 2005, I was at the height of my movie snobbery and I was like, what, the, what right. is this? Uh, what's Nick Cage doing? And then you go back to it and you realize, oh no, this movie's just pure joy. He is going to steal the Declaration of Independence. Um, I believe him. And that movie is, yeah, that movie's just pure joy. And I love the sequel just as much. I think that moment when he's with uh, Sandra Kruger, uh, Sonia Kruger, in the um, dumb waiter to get up to where they're trying to steal something else. And he's just hiding behind the flowers is one of the most sweetest and Nick Cage moments I've ever seen on screen. And you, that smile from Sonia seems very genuine of like, oh my God, what is he doing? <laughs> yeah. He's he's fun because he is, you know, he can be silly and over the top. Yes. But he always stays very believable and he feels very sincere. And I love one thing that I love almost as much as watching watching Nick Cage in movies is I love watching Nick Cage interviews. Yes. Because you would think he's gonna be like this weirdo, obtuse, like all up his own ass kind of guy. And he's so not anytime I've ever seen him in an interview. He's so nice. He's so humble. He's so courteous. And he talks very highly of like everyone he's ever worked with who anyone ever talks, asks him about. He always says very nice things about them. He seems like he has so much respect for everyone he's ever worked with. And um, I really feel like when I watch him in interviews, that like he really cares about the craft of acting and he really cares about movies and about film history. And he's like such a nerd for it all. And it doesn't feel, it never feels to me like he cares about being a star and being like this Hollywood personality. Like he really cares about the art of it. And I always really get that sense. And almost any time I talk about Valley Girl, I always talk about this bonus feature on the Blu-ray that I, I can't recommend enough, especially if anyone has the Blu-ray and hasn't watched it. Watch this. Mm. It's, a, it's a conversation between Nick Cage and Martha Coolidge. And by the looks of Nick Cage, it looks to be like mid-90s, like it looks yeah. like prime the rock era. And uh, and they're just talking about this movie. And it's such a great, interesting conversation. And it's like such a love fest between the two of them, like a professional love fest, because they're both like talking about how much they respect each other and like all the great things that each other did during the make of this movie. And it's just like such good vibes between them. And um, I love it. I love that interview or conversation, I guess. Yeah, because Nick Cage is kind of one of those, not many living actors get this kind of legend around them as much as Nick Cage has. Um, the fact that he is obsessed with um, you know, the way his career has kind of gone, like the man, you're right. I think everyone, well, like, yes, he did have some tax issues. Um, and so there is probably the era that's known as his, his tax movies. Um, but I think you're right. I think he just likes to work. I think he just likes to act. So when he wasn't necessarily getting the rock kind of, um, the rock kind of roles, he was still giving that energy into say a more of a low budget what would be a DTV and when um, movie, which is he still say made some of the best of those movies. So it's, but he's has this legend of like, yes, he spent his uh, money on buying a dinosaur bone, the first Superman comic, even the movie Superman movie. He didn't made 
has gone into legend and so much so that they put that goddamn Kevin Smith story in a goddamn movie with a giant spider. Like it's kind of, he's gone into a, into, into a Hollywood legend that very few actors, especially when they're living, seem to go in. Um, and he's, yeah, even in, I mean, they've even made something like uh, the uh, massive weight of, the, the, the weight of massive talent when he's playing a version of himself because there's this weird legend around him and it's um it's kind of fascinating and yeah i think he is just kind of a nerd who likes to act who has a reverence for it um but then he's kind of built up this cult of person not got a cult of personality but this kind of legend around him and it's very it's a that you're right you don't i've i don't usually watch interviews with him because it's just never come but it still feels like he's something else other than the human being that he probably is, but I'm sorry, I went on a weird tangent. I'm not sure if that makes sense. <laughs> no, totally. And yeah. and it is interesting when I hear him talk about the movie you just mentioned, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, because that is a very fictional version of him. Yes. And he's talked about that and how like that made him kind of uncomfortable and he was really unsure making the movie. And he wanted to play the Pedro. Movie. Yeah, he wanted to play the Pedro Pascal role, which would have actually been, <laughs> might have kind of worked. <laughs> know that. Um, yeah, but, but yeah, so he's, he's definitely a more down to earth person than like that version. However, you're right that he had weird tax stuff and he definitely spent his money on weird shit. However, he's like, he like spent his money on stuff that like I would buy if I was yeah, super well, me rich. Too. Like I, if I was super rich, I would buy an island with a dinosaur bone and I would go and buy a weird obscure, um, book. So it's. Yeah and, yeah, and like castles. I think he bought castles. So like he wasn't yeah. buying like status symbols so he'd fit in with the Kardashians or something, you know? Like he's buying like super nerdy stuff that I would buy if I could. No, and I think that's why he has the legend around him because you're like, wait, he bought a castle? I would buy a castle. That's what I would, wait, that's what I would spend my money on. I would totally buy a castle. I'm that nerd. Yes. And he kind of has turned that into, it's yeah i think it's kind of he has no control over that because he can't control people see him but it's definitely not a branding thing like a lot of people are very concerned with their image and how they are perceived so they will do certain things and spend their money on certain kind of things to make them look a certain way cage is like no i like dinosaurs i want a dinosaur bone like let's do it let's do this <laughs> yeah um I think like the the number one time that I wished I was super rich so I could spend money like Nicolas Cage is when I saw Peter Cushing's like seaside house was for sale like uh, in England and I was like that's what I would buy if I had Nicolas Cage money. Oh, that I just right saw there. that. Yeah, that different <laughs> set. It's like uh, the Cushing Curiosities or something. I can't remember what it's called. I'm just like, well, oh, that I'm... Severin set coming out. Yeah, I yeah. think that's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just like, well, I have to get that now purely because of the well. it's it's Cushing and it's called Cushing Curiosities. <laughs> Speaking um, of Cushing, I was, so I've always said Nicolas Cage is my favorite living actor, but I always said living actor because if you include dead actors, I don't, I like, I, I couldn't decide who my favorite actors were, but I, I think I came to the conclusion of who my top three actors are like this week thinking about this. And I realized they all have a very similar look, which, so I don't know what it is about that, but I think my three favorite actors are Jimmy Stewart, Peter Cushing and Nicolas Cage. That I think makes those sense. are my boys. Yeah, I think those are good boys to have. I don't actually know who my boys would be. Um, no, I'd have to think about that. I mean, I, I've got a few names like Antonio Banderas and Frederick Marsh, but then I know that, well, what about Cary Grant? What about a whole bunch of other people? So I'm. It, it's 
I always find it really difficult to sort of say who my favorite actors are because then I'm like, oh, but I forgot this person. Like that, no, that is actually my favorite actor. But those are, but yeah, Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing are definitely going to be in that conversation. Um, and it's, it, but yeah, I can see how those three are linked actually because they are very, um, especially Cushing and uh, Cage actually, um, just because of the way the movies that the career kind of that they had. Um, but all three guys, no matter what the movie, would always give 110%. And you can just tell they just loved acting. Like, it's... Yeah, yeah. That that I think that really draws me to actors when, like, they will give 100% no matter what the material is. Vincent Price is another one of those guys, for sure. Oh, yeah, sure. he's one of my boys, yeah. Yeah, I, but I, I just, I love actors. I mean, that's one of the biggest reasons that I love movies, is I love actors, and... um there are very few like famous actors and such that I just dislike because I just I just love actors. Like there's very, very few actors you could name that I say I don't like that person. Yeah, I mean, I will say people have a punchable face, but I think that's usually the role that they're playing, not necessarily the actor. Yeah, I'm a bit the same. Like everyone can give an amazing performance given the role, given the director, given the kind of how it's edited together. So yeah, I'm I'm a little the same way. I don't necessarily go, oh, I don't want to watch that because that so and so was in it. Um, it sometimes there's, sometimes it takes me a while to click with a certain actor. Like I know Jimmy Stewart took me a while. It was oh, a rewatch. Yeah, it took me a rewatch of um, It's a Wonderful Life and just the bar scene where oh okay, I know what he's doing. I know what this is, and I knew that. And then it finally just kind of clicked into place and went, yeah, Jimmy Stewart's one of the greatest actors of all time. Um. But other than that, I just really love actors acting. And Nicolas Cage is kind of the perfect one for that because his greatest strength and maybe the one flaw I would say is that you can tell he's always acting. Even a little bit in Valley Girl, like he's not necessarily a naturalistic actor, but you can you love the fact that he's just acting so much that you just kind of have to admire it, if that makes sense. Even in something yeah. like Pig, which is that's not a natural movie at all, but so uh can we talk about what I think is like the weirdest part of this movie, mm-hmm. which is the element of one. I can't remember the character's names, but one of uh, Deborah Foreman's friends has a crush on a boy, but her mom keeps hitting on that boy. And uh, the one thing that I think is weird about it is the actress they have cast as the mom looks basically the same age as any of the teenagers. Like if they cast her as a teenager, I wouldn't have bad an eye at it. Yeah. <laughs> so that element's weird. But um. When Martha Coolidge is talking about it on the commentary, she seems to like think that it's like this really it's like this piece of mystery to the movie. Like, oh, but who's he going to end up with? Like the girl or the mom? And I'm I don't know. I'm just like, is it that great of a mystery? It's such a weird element to this movie that feels like it doesn't fit. It's not enough in it for it to be kind of anything part of the movie. You just keep going back because it's the party and then the weird thing. Oh, she's starting to feel competitive with me. Okay, so you're going for the same guy. Okay. You, you do you but yeah you're right it's not enough in the movie and that particular friend character isn't developed enough um because i would say eg daly's uh friend character is more defined than she is because the fact that she had this moment with her ex-boyfriend at the time and now she's also in a weird situation where she's be- because of the, pe- the the pair structure she's trying to get um julie back with tommy even though she has very, you can tell she has very conflicting feelings about it. It's a really nice performance from her, but yeah, it's a weird moment in this movie. I'm like, why is this even, I don't understand why this is in here. It, it, yeah, you need to, it needs to be more, it needs to be more 
um, structured into the spine for it to actually make sense. But yeah, it is a super weird part of the movie. I'm just like, wait, what's going on? And it's not that I like, I, I like dislike that part because this movie is still a five out of five movie oh, for me. Like no, no, I just yeah. love it entirely, but it's just, it's such a weird like quirk to the movie. Like, why is this here? I don't understand. It's so odd. Yeah. And I'm just like, no, I want to go back to Julian Brandy. I don't want to worry about this. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's such a weird part of the, the, the movie. Um, but we might as well get into the, the actor. I most want to punch in this movie. Um, cause he oh, okay. is playing the worst and that's of course, Tommy. Um, the, the friend dynamic is really, really fascinating. As soon as, I mean, Julie's trying to get away from him from the get-go and her friends are like, why are you dumping Tommy? One, because he's a probably an emotion, emotional abusive asshole. Um, but I, so watching this time, I went, oh no, she's absolutely trying to get away from him and she needs like another boyfriend to justify it to her friends. Almost. It's, you see that dynamic happen really quickly in the movie in that first scene when they're in the mall and she's, um, looking over to that other guy who just completely blanks her at the party, which was hilarious. But um, yeah, it, it was an interesting dynamic. And then when she meets Randy, her friends are starting to go, hang on a minute. I don't like this. You'll take, you're going in a, in a place that we don't like, but it seems to sort of happen at the beginning as well. It's like their friendship is sort of based on the fact that she's with Tommy. Yeah. It, um, it's, it's interesting to me about this movie that none of her friends are supportive of, of her and what she wants. Yeah. All of her friends are pushing her towards the guy that she doesn't want, including her one friend who messed around with that guy. So she yes. clearly knows this guy is not faithful. Um, and although technically I think they're broken up at that point anyway, but regardless. Um, yeah. And, and I think if, I think normally if when this movie is made, there would be like a sympathetic friend character. There would be like mm. the best friend who is supportive of her. But it's interesting that there isn't like all of them suck. All of them are antagonist like characters because like Tommy sucks so bad, like so bad. And, my, and a credit to Michael Bowen, the actor, he's so good at yeah. being horribly unlikable. And and doesn't even and try. Chem- mm. Yeah, go ahead. Usually there'd be a moment of, this is why this girl kind of fell for him in the first place, but there is none of that. He is just an asshole. No, you don't feel like she ever fell for him because she never has any interest in him. It really is just like they're supposed to date because they're the two attractive blonde people in the popular group. And like, that's where their friends want. And like, so that's what happened. Mm. But yeah, from the start of the movie, she's like, I don't like him anymore. Um, and her and and they have absolutely zero chemistry together. Deborah Foreman and, and Nick Cage have amazing chemistry together. He's yes. so great. He's so lovable. So like we want when you've got like a couple that we love so much and then we got, got a guy that we hate so much. It really adds really great tension to this movie because when she when she crumbles to the peer pressure and breaks up with Randy and gets back with Tommy, like it's like miserable to watch. Like it's she is horrible. not happy. <laughs> Like it's when he's awful. like when he pulls the bracelet out of his pocket, like it's all been pre. I mean, their relationship feels um arranged almost. Like it's like this arranged yeah. relationship. You're right. They're the two attractive blonde people, so therefore they have to kind of date. Um, and when he's pulling that bracelet out, and like every time he tries to kiss her on the cheek, she's just like turn it. She's just like she is so not interested. It's it's purely because yeah, this this is what her friends want. It's not even. I mean, I love her parents so much. Those two performances are. They're kind of my favorite part of the movie because you're right. When you have good friend characters, when you're older, you can kind of go, "Well, I love the the, the parents," um, but I think they'd probably prefer Randy than they would Tommy. 
<laughs> not that you yeah. do what your parents want, but it's um, it feels so wrong to her personality and how she sees the world. And you can kind of tell that she wants, she's excited to go to hop the the grungy Hollywood with the um, with the LA punk bar and the and hanging out and seeing kind of the other side of the other side of the world um or their world i should say because it's still the same city but um she wants to kind of see what else is out there and none of her friends do they're like no we're we're belly girls so we go to the mall we do this we go to the beach we have this very specific pattern routine and as soon as she tries to step out of that they're like oh yeah no Yeah, and I think I think that's fairly common for high schoolers. High yeah. schoolers are terrified of so many aspects of being social and they just want to kind of stay in a box and like keep things safe so things aren't too awkward or uncomfortable. And it's often when you go to college that you branch out and you kind of find new groups and you try new things and you meet new people. So Deborah Foreman's kind of wanted to do that a little bit early mm. before college and her and her friends are very uncomfortable with it. Like the scene when they when they leave the party and they go out on kind of a double date and the friend is wildly uncomfortable the entire it time. Is the worst. <laughs> I hate this music. I'm like, this is a great bar. <laughs> <What are you laughs> <talking about? laughs> this music is great. Shut up. <laughs> it is great. Shut up. But it is kind of like that sucky thing when you're out with your friend and the friend is with someone they really like. So you're kind of stuck in the backseat with the person you don't like. Which is always me. I was always that person who was like stuck in the backseat going, oh, (laughs) God, (laughs) this sucks. (laughs) Can we just go to a good bar? It's relatable. Yeah, Yeah, it's definitely relatable. I get that person when you're being dragged by your friend who likes a guy and all of a sudden you're with his friend. You're like, "Uh, okay, what we're doing this. All right, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, but no, I do, as I keep saying, this movie has just so naturalistic performances. Um, and you can tell Nick Cage is being, he's already Nick Cage, but when he's like kind of, I guess kind of half stalking her, I mean, but it is the 1980s and he's kind of adorable. And I do love the fact that he has this, all this array of glasses, like the 3D glasses and when he's suddenly getting all these jobs around. <laughs> when he spits gum at Tommy. Yeah, it's... <laughs> <laughs> Tommy doesn't even know what's going on because he's such an idiot. Um, but it is, yeah, they just kind of, he's literally just throwing at the wall to see what sticks. But my favorite part is when he's obviously just slept on her lawn and she kind of wakes up to see him there. And um, yeah, that that's my favorite one of, of that gag. It's just like you realize he slept on the lawn all night in a sleeping bag. <laughs> yeah, that whole part is great. Um, uh, one of my favorite parts of the, the Nick Cage and Martha Coolidge conversation on the Blu-ray is he says that when they filmed the breakup scene, Martha Coolidge's direction to him, she just looked at him and she said, hurt, but not defeated. And he said he really took that direction to heart. And he said he's carried that direction through this whole career. And uh, and that's really what's what's happening there is he's hurt by the by the breakup, but not defeated. He hasn't given up. He's still trying to be with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and because of that, you get a lot of funny gags and such like you're talking about, including my favorite one when he's a movie theater employee. And Tommy says, oh, bitchin, is this in 3D? And Nick <laughs> Cage says, no, but your face is, is. <laughs> it's so random and it's so funny. <laughs> Tommy's just getting spat at and insulted everywhere he goes. He doesn't quite understand why. It's it's kind of <laughs> fantastic. Um, it, yeah, I mean, those little gags are kind of great. And then I love the plan. It's like, yeah, I've got a plan to get her back with her. And the plan is just get him into the prom. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Because it's, it's, a, a, it's a high school movie. It's got a climax yeah. at prom. Yeah. Um, 
it's I mean usually in the go back to a nineties um thing like say she's all that or um just another kind of nineties oh, she's all that oh so I love that movie so much um, <laughs> the problem is always like the big thing of the movie but it's always kind of mentioned at the beginning you know it's all leading up to the prom this one is just like oh and there's a prom but I love the fight scene between him the uh, um. Randy and Tommy, there's this thing where I think it's Tommy's doing like doing a round kick and then Nick Jacage just punches him in the stomach. Like it's kind of it's it, yeah, it's kind of that showing of that I'm really tough, but actually I'm not in a polo shirt with his Nick Cage who's going to LA uh Hollywood High, I think it is. Um, which was probably a bit more of a sketchy punky high school. And so he just like just punches him. It's 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 very funny. And then it's when Deborah Foreman goes, No, you know what? I love the cage. I don't need all this um, bullshit. I'm just going to go and be happy. And they, and they are. And it's, yeah, that, yeah, that final shot is amazing. It's so good. It really is. Um, and she points this out in the commentary. So it was totally intentional, but it's a, uh, it's a reference to the graduate. I was going to say, yes, the opposite of the graduate. And at the end of the graduate, they get together and they're just like, now what? Like, yeah. we don't know oh, what to crap. do now. Yeah. And this one, it's like, they know they did the right thing. They know this is right. And they know they're happy. And it's such a beautiful note to end the movie on. Deborah Foreman has the best smile. Like, Boy, does some, she ever. Oh, my God. It's like a thousand watt smile. So when she's smiling at the end, it is such a happy, happy moment. This, but yeah, it, it's very, it, you can tell it's intentionally graduate, but they do have that smile of like, oh, I'm looking forward to the future with this graduate. It's like, oh, no, what have we done? now what like i don't know what this means or anything like that which is kind of the genius of that ending but um no this is just really it's a it's an amazing hangout movie and you're right it's a movie that i could easily just keep going back to and back to because there's more kind of this movie allows everyone to have little character quirks which is probably the best part of it like everyone even if they're not fully developed they still get these little quirks which is great absolutely what's your favorite song on the soundtrack oh um there are so many i love this soundtrack i'm gonna look it up again even though i was listening to it in the background give me a moment um what's your what's your I'll, favorite uh my, mine is definitely melt with you yeah and uh and i love what she said about it on the commentary that um that she heard it on the radio and she just knew it would be great for the movie. And all she could remember from it was the tune and the words melt with you. But like, I'm, you know, not today you could just Google melt with you and you could probably find it. Yeah. Um, but back then they couldn't just Google it. So she, you know, goes to the music supervisor. She's just like humming it. And he found it. <laughs> he found the song. And uh, apparently it had come out. It didn't do very well, but she put it in the movie and it climbed up the charts and then it became a hit because of this movie, which is um, awesome. It's that a great is song. That is so cool. No, I think Melt with you with uh Melt Melt with you is a great one. I also love the opening one um because it is such a radio s kind of soundtrack. It's very much like American mm -hmm. Graffiti. This is the songs. Oh, what it, and that one the um punks are playing because they're only playing one song every single time they're in the bar. I think it's the same song. Um, but that yeah. song is absolutely fantastic as well. It's just yeah, I miss um when a soundtrack would be kind of what you would be listening to on the radio and because we don't necessarily have we all have a shuffle playlist we don't get that kind of vibe anymore and i love it when it comes up in a movie yeah i have no idea what plays on the radio it's been like 10 years since i've yeah. listened to the radio i think <laughs> i have no idea <laughs> me 
me that. <laughs> the only reason I know about any modern music is because of my wife. Otherwise, I would literally know nothing. <laughs> oh, no. I'm saying with my partner. The only reason I know a little bit about any kind of alternative modern music is because of my partner. Because otherwise, yeah. I am just like, no, my music has been stayed in 2001. But it, yeah, it's, um, but I do, when you listen to this, when you listen to American Graffiti, it's got that same kind of thing. Oh, this is kind of playing on the radio. And I think it actually starts with a radio announcement from memory. Or am I imagining that? Anyway, it feels like it's this is what's been played on the radio. These are what the kids are actually listening to. And it's got that mixture of really, really pop and then um, kind of the slightly more pop alternative. But no, it's Martha Coolidge does a thing with soundtracks that's amazing. She even makes a Brian, um, Brian Adams song in Real Genius Sound Cool. <laughs> Oh man, my mom is like the biggest Brian Adams fan. So you just you just said some slander. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, my mother's the biggest Brian Adams fan, and um, oh, okay. but, yeah, there might be a uh, Robin Hood episode coming up, which I probably will gush about that Brian Adams song and Robin Hood. Oh my gosh, years. that's like my favorite thing. <laughs> that's awesome. I love that you're doing that. Um, yeah, the the weirdest song on the <laughs> the soundtrack that I'm always like mm, whenever it comes up is Johnny Are You Queer, which comes up at the prom scene. It's like the weirdest, most dated song I've ever heard. And I was really curious what Martha Coolidge would say about it on the commentary. So I was yeah. like waiting for it. And the song comes on. She just goes, this song always cracks me up. And that's it. That's all she says. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's so dated, but it is such like an L.A. punk thing that you would hear. And I'm just like, oh, yep, that that. That's a weird 1983 moment. Um, I can only imagine playing that song for some for like a Gen Z kid, and they would just be like horrified at it. What is this? It's like, yeah, and it's I know that's what it means. Like, it's not trying to be anything else. It's just that. <laughs> yeah, it's there's no hidden meanings to that song. Yes. No, it's it's exactly what you think it is. Oh, okay. So it's like, no, no, no. That's exactly what you think it is. Um, <laughs> no, but it's it, yeah. The, the the soundtrack is of its time, but that is such a weird song. And the the band feels too punk for that school. I'm like, no, they wouldn't have had like a cool girl punk band playing at that that um, prom. They would have had something a little bit more top forty. <laughs> I think that about like every prom scene of all time there is yeah. always a band that's way too good especially like in back to the future i'm like yes i mean partially because of terrible political reasons but also yeah. this band is way too good to be playing this <laughs> 1950s prom you're right actually there all the bands are way too good um in a prom one but that one i was just like they wouldn't have booked those guys like they one they're too good and two that's would be at nicholas cage's school that that's what would happen um, but no, this is a really great movie. I love it. Um, I'm glad I finally saw it. And then I get to watch it again and again, especially. Um, and I cannot wait for my Eureka disc to arrive. It's going to be very, very cool. Anything else you want to say about Valley Girl before we can move on? Um, I love Nicolas Cage's triangle chest hair at the beach scene. <laughs> that's my final word. Oh, that's when you witness like, yo, he is really all legs and arms in that, in that scene. I'm just like, he is like <laughs> a gangly kind of creature waddling um not near as gangly as i was when i was 18 so props <laughs> to him <laughs> yeah so are uh, you ready to go on to renfield absolutely i'm excited excellent okay with that the curtains are opening again and we are going to be getting into a 
actually, you know, I've, cha- I've seen this movie like a couple of times and each movie I changed my mind on it, how I feel about it, but we're going to get into it. Um, what is going to be your first trailer for Renfield? Okay, so uh, got to show a Dracula trailer. And I know this movie is very much playing on a certain Dracula movie with a certain actor. But when I watch this, I think Nick Cage Dracula looks so much like Christopher Lee Dracula. So I'm going to show a trailer for Hammer's Dracula Has Risen from the Grave from 1968. Dracula has risen from the grave. Dracula. The most fearsome name in any language. The most feared being ever to haunt the living. There is a girl. Maria? Bring her to me. During the hours of darkness, she must never be left alone. Bring her to me! Christopher Lee. Rupert Davis, Veronica Carlson, Hammer's new star discovery, Dracula's most beautiful victim. Which is like, like we were just talking about cozy horror movies. Yes. This is like the penultimate of cozy horror movie for me. Like, I love this movie. It is such a warm blanket. It is such a cup of hot chocolate. Um, it's the fourth Hammer Dracula movie. And uh, and I love it's about like kind of young, young adult characters in a small little English village or whatever. And Dracula comes and starts killing people. And it's beautifully directed by Freddie Francis. It like mm. it's visually so gorgeous more than it should be, probably. And it's just this kind of, you know, campy, kitschy Dracula movie where he kills people and, and hypnotizes women. It's so fun. I love it. So Dracula's risen from the grave. It's my first trailer. Is that the one with Ralph Bates in it? Or am I thinking of another one? That is the fifth one, actually. That yeah, is, this yes. one has Veronica Carlson and um, I can't remember his name. They got Barry Andrews, I think, who's from yes. Blood on Satan's Claw. Yes, because I was uh, having a conversation about something with Hammer, and uh, she goes, of course you've seen that movie. I said, I think I have. I mean, I've seen the bulk of the uh, Dracula and Frankenstein ones, but there's amazing how they do um, kind of meld together because there is this co- overall coziness. Um, but no, I love as as Dracula um not as much as the actor will be talking about probably very soon but it is yeah I mean I was I think I had uh Dracula Prince of Darkness listed because I think that's my ultimate cozy hammer movie which was the third one I want to say um yeah good choice yeah but he is such yeah there's just uh, something about I mean I know there was a whole podcast with Jinx and and Paul uh with the hammer pub but there was something about that hammer pub that I just want to go to and hang out and watch the shenanigans happening on screen with a guy called Paul who gets involved with a vampire. They're always called Paul. Yeah, this is such a good movie. It is, yeah, I'm kind of remembering it now. And it does kind of work almost like a slasher almost because he is knocking off teenagers one by one. And yeah, yeah, and you're right. Nick Cage does kind of have more of a Christopher Lee vampire, uh, Dracula thing going on, even though, um, which he's probably had in mind. He's probably, yeah, I'm going to do Bella, and but I'm also going to do a bit of um, Christopher Lee as well and i that's very much on purpose with his with his performance as drag and i enjoy it very much yeah and he, he just naturally looks more like christopher lee he than he looks like bella Lugosi. so yeah. partially it, it just is what it is yeah but no that is a really good movie and it is so cozy and I, yeah i might have to watch a hammer today because i've been i'm getting in the hammer mood um i know it's spring where i am but i know uh, october's coming up and that's when i'm like i just want to watch very cozy gothic horror and that is Hammer. 
Yeah. First trailer. I had so many trailers I could have done for this. Um, I just kept adding them. I am going, actually, you know what? I'm going to go for, I know there's another uh, uh, cage vampire movie, but I'm actually going to go Drive Angry from 2011. Tell him I'm coming. You're too late. Hell's going to walk the earth. Hell already is walking the earth. out of hell to make things right use good water and God makes up with the wrong crowd now he's got one last shot at redemption that cult killed my daughter and took her baby I am going to get her back thought you were dead <laughs> you hoped I was dead miles of hard road. Now that's a hell of a ride. Just so you know, I don't pick up hitchhikers. I didn't have my thumb out. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, another kind of, a, a kind of a race with the devil movie from memory. This movie is, I actually have a lot of fun with this movie. This movie's batshit crazy. Um, Amber Heard, I think uh, William Fister, butchering his name, comes up. I think he's playing an agent of the devil. Um, but it is a weird devil cult He's movie. He's the accountant, I think. He's the accountant, yeah. I haven't seen it in a couple of years, but I have seen it. But it, it's one of those movies I have a lot of fun with, and I love Cage's performance in it. I think it's it's a hoot of a um, action horror movie. Yeah, I, I'm just remembering. I think I actually programmed this on your show before when we talked about Race for the Devil. Oh yeah, I think you did. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it's a fun movie. I've only seen it the one time. Um, it's so, it's almost so bombastic. I don't think I would want to go back to it very often, but it's, it's a, it's fun. It's a good time. No, it's a very specific kind of exploitation movie uh, that were, they were very much making in the early 2010s, like uh, uh, 20 um, noughties, but it is a really fun movie. It is cage kind of owning the kind of cage rage kind of thing that he, i think he really kind of nailed in this, this part of his um career but yeah it is a fun movie but it's so bombastic it is it, it is definitely putting everything it has all the energy is in this movie for sure yeah no energy was left unused everyone was very tired by the end of the day what is going to be your second trailer uh, look, look, I, I I could try to be smart and original, but sometimes you just got to be obvious. I, I'm just going to show the trailer for Vampire's Kiss. Nicolas Cage, <laughs> yes. I think it's 1988. A kiss that could drive you mad. I hate interrupted love affairs, don't you? Yep, 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 yep. It's affecting his work. There you are. It's a horrible, horrible job, and you have to do it. It's ruining his appetite. My next appointment with you is uh, Tuesday afternoon. I'd like to make it sooner. It's spoiling his sleep. Sooner. And don't think people haven't noticed. Am I getting through to you, Alva? He is so eccentric. My, my. For Peter Lowe. Oh, sooner. That's just love. Love? Love. In the big city. Yeah! Where he is a Wall Street, well, I don't know if it's Wall Street actually, a businessman, kind of a Patrick Bateman type, who who maybe becomes a vampire, but probably just starts going insane and thinking he's a vampire. And uh, it is a hilarious movie. It is an incredible performance from Nick Cage. It's Brilliant. the kind of like, 
over the top campy brilliance that only he can do. Um, so many clips from it have become very popular. Even if a lot of people don't watch the movie, I think a lot of people watch A, B, C, D and those kind of scenes from it. Him like um, pointing at the chair, point, kind of leaning forward yes. at the chair and pointing. Yeah. That's one of my favorite gifts. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a fun, it's a good time. I think if you're going to show Renfield, you kind of got to show the Vampire's Kiss trailer. It's really great. There's this moment, I think it's, because he's having this wild night of when he's just like fully embracing that he's a Dracula and then the, the sun's coming up and he's just kind of wandering around. I think it's New York. Just kind of going at people. It's, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> it's, it just looks so awkward. It's, it's an amazing, but it is an amazing performance. It is, I, when I first saw it, I thought, oh, this director did not have control over Cage. But I think Cage is very much aware of the kind of performance he gives. So I don't think it's Cage off the hook. I think it's just Cage going, no, this guy's going insane. So I'm going to play him going insane. Like he's going to eat bugs. It's kind of a very always Patrick Bateman performance, actually. Um, oh, yeah. You could probably pair those really well together. But no, it is it is an incredible performance. It is an incredible movie. It is, it, you just get to watch Cage go, I guess, full Cage at its a masterwork of a performance. Like he's putting so much into it. Yeah, it's hard to know sometimes whether Cage really is going off the rails uh, yeah. from the director's wishes or not, because one thing he's kind of famous for is he does a lot of different takes, doing things, doing lines and doing scenes very differently. So the director will kind of build it out in the edit and the editor of like what the Cage performance is because he gives you so many options. But on the other hand, you've got like Peggy Sue got married where he's doing the the pokey voice. And I know Francis Ford Coppola did not want him to do that. Like Neither begged him Kathleen, to stop. Same with Kathleen, yeah. uh, Kathleen Turner. She was not impressed with any of that. So. Oh yeah. And he just like refused to stop. So like, you know, I, I don't know. Like did the director want this for Vampire's Kiss? Did they not? I have no idea, but either way it worked out. I think the movie, the movie works. Yeah, because I think he does. He's one of those actors that kind of knows his reference points that he wants to go in and, and the piggy suit gets married. It's for some reason it's Gumby. So he's he's always, I think he always has something in, yeah, he'll do different things. And I think he's, but he's also very aware of his influences a, quite a bit, uh, which isn't a terrible thing because Vampire's Kiss yeah. is, yeah, that dawn scene when he's just hissing at people is the greatest thing ever. It's not a, a, a gift. I'm surprised it's not, um, but it's just this tiny moment in near the end of the movie. You can tell he's exhausted, so maybe they've just done a night night shoot and they've just gone and done done that. It, it's it's pretty great. Yeah, it's what I it's what I do every October first, just around my neighborhood. <laughs> just out of, yeah. fake bangs and you just start hissing people. Oh my god, the fact that he has fake bangs is amazing. <laughs> yeah, like dollar store fangs <laughs> yeah. too, which makes it even better. It makes it even better. No, I I really do love that movie. Um, okay, so for my final, oh, screw it. Um, there's so many things I could have done, but no, yeah, I'm just gonna go with the OG. Um, we've already done Prince of the Hammer one, but I'm gonna go for the Bella because you got to do it. I, I gotta do, do it. it. No, no. You got Dracula it. Dracula 31. I am Dracula. A moment ago, I stumbled upon a most amazing phenomenon. Something so incredible, I mistrust my own judgment. Dracula. The very mention of the name brings to mind things so evil, so fantastic, so degrading. You wonder if it isn't all a dream, a nightmare. Rats. Rats. 
It's my, one of my favorite movies of all time. It is, I was the only person in a, actually surprisingly full theater, considering how long I'd been in the theaters when we first saw it, cackling at that opening. Like I was the only person who got what was going on and I was delighted. This movie is my ultimate comfort movie. I watched it a few days ago again and I just settled into it like a warm bath. It was just, oh yeah, this is this is my happy place. Yeah, it is the ultimate opening to October, I think. Like on October 1st, this is the best movie to put on to invite in the spooky season. Yeah, it is just so well shot. I mean, you've got Kyle uh, Freund shooting and also directed some of it. You've got Todd Browning. You've got Bela Lugosi. I mean, you've got Dwight Fry. It's just, it's one of those movies where I know when people, and I, when I first saw it, I thought it was too stately and too much of a pile of drama. Now I love it. I love everything about this movie and the way that they use the dry ice and Bella's um, the children of the nights. Um, it's it, it. I adore this movie. I can't say too many. I'll just gush about it for another hour if I'm not careful, which is about the, the length of the movie. But it is, <laughs> yeah, it's it's thirty one Dracula. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's the first movie I can remember loving in my life. It's like oh, my wow. first favorite movie I can remember. Yeah, that that is that is amazing. Yeah, and with that, we might as well, from that trailer, we're going to go into a movie that openly references this movie, and it made me so happy. And that is, of course, Renfield. I need your assistance. I'm coming, Martha! Oh, you feel like he could destroy you with the snap of his fingers. Wouldn't even need to snap. Okay. Uh-huh, that sounds familiar. Yeah, what? Renfield, bringing innocent victims. I want a handful of nuns, a busload of cheerleaders. And I just want a normal life again. But this modern world is a dangerous place. Thank you. You saved my life. Did I watch you cut a guy with a decorative serving platter? It's all in the wrist. Let me explain. My boss gave me this power. In return, I tend to his needs, including care, feeding. You bring in people to eat? You're like the guy that gets the villain's Postmates. So you saw this in the theater, I miss you, because you were actually, yeah, you, as you said before, you were the one of the early defenders, especially in the face of uh, Matt Bledsoe from Film Feast and Hayden Gilbert. Um, My nemesis is. Your nemesis is just <laughs> destroying this movie. Like they were. Eviscerating <laughs> Matt Bledsoe, it. Matt one of the nicest, generally the nicest people on the planet, was eviscerating this movie. He hated it. Yeah, I think he still hated yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I was not an early defender because I didn't see it in the theater. I was a yeah. late defender. Ah. Um, yeah, I, I just haven't been to the theater a lot this year because we had a baby. And it's just, I mean, one, it's harder to go out to the theater, but also, two, it's harder for me to want to go to the theater because I just want to hang out at home with my oh, kid. Like, yeah. that's just better than going to the theater. But be, um, yes. <laughs> when it hit VOD, 
I almost never do this, but I did this time. I bought it for $20 on VOD. Hmm. I never do that. I always wait for it to get cheap or I wait for it to hit a streaming service or I wait for Redbox. Uh, but I bought it for $20 because I just really wanted to watch it. And I was like, screw it. And I watched it. And uh, and I just had so much fun. I mean, I had bottom of the barrel expectations because everyone I knew hated it. And I did. I wasn't expecting much. But yet and yet I pay twenty dollars for it. I don't I don't know how to explain that. Um, I just wanted to see it so bad. And uh, I I just I like shoved popcorn in my mouth. I made popcorn and just like I was like giggling and I just had such a great time. Like, I, I think this movie's so fun and like it's just fun. That's what it is for me. Yeah, though you have been also a movie I actually went back and watched. Um, is it it's The Invitation? That's what it's called, which is also another because there has been a few Dracula movies coming out, none of them have done particularly well, which makes me even more depressed because all I want is Dracula movies. And when I first saw this movie, I was like, Oh, The Invitation, I was like, Oh, that didn't work. And you're like, Yes, it did. No, okay, yes, the, the, the Jonathan Harker reveal is dumb, but everything else about it works. And I will never not hate, I will always hate that Dracula, mo- that ha- Jonathan Harker moment. <laughs> but i rewatched it and i rewatched the uncut version they released with more violence and i'm like actually now i know what i'm getting into and appreciating what the, that movie is trying to do i'm like i'm a little bit more on board with it um i haven't actually seen the uncut version of the invitation yeah me too yeah i mean it's not it just there's a couple of things toward the end when you just it's a little bit more violent and a little bit more blood okay but sweet yeah, it's, um, but when you sort of realize, oh, okay, because I thought, are we in Bridgerton at the moment? Is this what we're doing? And then I went, no, that's the fantasy of Dracula, the fantasy that has been built up with the fantasy of Twilight, these vampires that sort of became the more sexual, um, like the Jack Palance and the um, other one. Um, I cannot remember his name. Anyway, there's been a few Draculas that have been kind of, you know, the sex machine Dracula. And that's not mm-hmm. what the reality is. Sex machine is. Dracula. That's yes. my favorite porno. Exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, and it's kind of got this interesting thing going on. So it kind of letting you live in the kind of pride and prejudice. This is what the fantasy is. Then showing you actually, no way, Dracula is an asshole. You um, really well explained why I love that movie because I adore Pride and Prejudice and I adore Dracula. So... Awesome. Yeah. I wasn't expecting because I do I do love Pride and Prejudice. That Pride and Prejudice joke in Barbie, he kind of hit me in the gut. I was like, "How dare you, Greta? <laughs> <laughs> don't don't you don't, why are you calling me out like that?" But it is. Um, but I thought I think it was around the time I tried to watch Bridgerton. I didn't get into it, and then I was like, "Hmm." Um, but going back, I'm like, "Oh no, this is much more Pride and Prejudice. This is great. I'm kind of loving it a bit more." And I'm still kind of working my way through Renfield like that because the moments I really enjoy about Renfield, I love. But I think kind of like the plot in uh, Valley Girl with the um, mother and daughter kind of thing, I don't necessarily... Here's what I'm a hypocrite. I love Renfield because it feels like it comes out of 95. And that is the gangster stuff, but I don't love the gangster stuff in Renfield. And I think I just need to watch it a few more times to get used to it. But everything, the relationship between um, Holt and Cage is great. The Aquavina stuff, I'm not on board with yet. I think that's kind of where I am sitting with it. Okay. And and, and let me just say, like, don't hold back. Don't worry about hurting my feelings. Yeah. Like, you can be as negative as you, as you want to be. Um, do you dislike Aquafina, Aquafina in general? I've actually been trying to think about this. I think I'm being very unfair because I saw her in the farewell and loved her and I want her to keep doing farewell and she's not. She's doing what she wants to do, which is kind of more these comic roles and I'm not enjoying them as 
much because she's often the sidekick. I'm like, no, don't be sidekick. Be farewell. But the farewell is an indie drama. It's not, it's a Sundance, Sundance movie. And I think I'm not being fair to her because, yeah, but I do have a problem with her shtick occasionally. I think, I think it's a little different in this one because I think she's actually trying to do an emotional thing. It just doesn't work. So I'm kind of struggling to do the fact, am I not on the Aquafina wavelength? I might not be. Okay. Yeah, I think I think Aquafina is one of the biggest reasons that I like this movie more than most people. Because, hmm. I mean, I wouldn't say I love Aquafina. I wouldn't say she's like one of my favorite comedians or she's so hilarious. But I don't have a problem with Aquafina. She doesn't bother me. She doesn't annoy me. And it seems like she bothers and annoys a lot of people. Mm. And it seems like she's like a sticking point for people in this movie and in a lot of movies where people like like the movie, don't like Aquafina. And I don't, I just don't have that. Like she just doesn't bother me, but I'm really glad you called out the farewell because the farewell is fantastic and she's so good in it. And I agree. I hadn't thought about it until you said it, but like, I agree. I wish she would do more like that. Yeah. Um, I almost like forget that's Aquafina because it's like, adam sandler and punch drunk love or something where it's like oh yeah like they did that too like that's so bizarre um but um i agree that like the gangster stuff is it's my least favorite aspect of this movie but i don't have a problem with it because i think it works in the movie because what the movie is is dracula in modern day and if the idea is dracula wants to be the lord of the prince of darkness the lord of all evil then like it it kind of makes sense to me in this movie for him to like join up and rule over an evil organization. Now you could easily say like evil organization in the real world might be like some political system or something like that. But in the movie, it's a, it's a drug, it's a uh, drug dealer gang. I'm like, okay, cool. That yeah. works. And I have, I have one more thing to say about defending the gangster element of this movie. People, whenever people talk about this, they always refer to Ben Schwartz as the villain of the movie and like, oh, I don't buy Ben Schwartz as this drug dealer. No, 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 no. Ben Schwartz is the Nepo baby spoiled brat son of a drug dealer boss who is played by, I'm going to try to pronounce her name. Her name seems a little bit difficult. For, it's yeah. a showrun. Agdashlu, I think is yes, her name. I think that's pretty, pretty close. Yeah, I was a bit worried because um, yeah. I was going to bring up kind of a similar point. And I'm also unfair to Ben Schwartz because I love him so much in Parks and Rec. It's one of my favorite shows. And then every time I'm seeing them in, I go, can you do Parks and Rec again? Which is not fair on him. Like, same with Aquafina. Um, just because I love you in the farewell doesn't mean, as much as I want you to go do more farewell, doesn't mean... Um, you can't do other things and you are clearly doing what you do well, even if it's not a shit I love. Um, so I've got this kind of very preconceived, preconceived kind of things of things of actors I like, and then I'm getting, but I'm getting upset when they don't do the thing I love, which is not fair on them. Um, but yeah, Bench Watch is the ultimate nipper baby. And I really love um, Shuri as an actor. She's kind of, turning into one of my favorite that guys like she's just popping up in everything and she's and she's actually very good in this i do enjoy her so much in this movie yeah she has a lot of gravitas you buy her as like this evil drug lord kingpin mm. um i i think she's really good and i like when when she meets nicholas cage and he does this like you know vampire kiss her hand and stuff and whatever um really enjoy all that but also like i don't know the I don't feel like the drug dealer stuff is like a big part of the movie. It's almost like a MacGuffin thing. It's just like the thing that Dracula decides he's going to take over and rule. And it, 
I don't know. Like I'm, I'm almost like trying to defend it, and I'm almost having trouble doing. It. <laughs> I was having no, trouble it, doing it. For me, it's taking me away from Nicholas Holt, who I generally do love in this movie. Like I think Holt I love him in this movie. Fantastic Renfield. I think casting him was a kind of little bit stroke of genius because I think he can kind when he's um when he's doing the laughter at the bottom of the boat when they're doing the whole Dracula thirty one thing. It almost looks like Dwight Fry, and it is really great i think he's really i think he can play the kind of dopey innocent very well and i think he does that it's kind of like in the menu when he's this like um dopey boy who just doesn't quite understand he's got these blinders on that he's like i'm gonna cook for the master and then i'm gonna die and my life is gonna be perfect um spoilers for the menu but <laughs> underrated movie of last year yeah um that's yeah, an amazing movie uh, i love the menu oh the menu's so good and he's kind of doing the same thing, but he's kind of playing this wide-eyed innocence, which I think he's very good at. And I kind of want, I kind of want to live in the um, narcissistic relationship, codependent um, support group more. That's kind of what I enjoy. So if the movie was a little bit more that instead of kind of pulling me away to this kind of gangster thing, I think I would have been happy. And the one thing I will say about Ben Schwartz, I buy him as a nepo baby, can't be a good gangster kind of guy. But as soon as he gets, and I might go into a rant about the Dracula blood thing, um it's mm. it's it's smart blood but i'll join it. you on that round yeah um i think when he's meant to be all tough that's when i don't buy it again it's parks and Rex's fault <laughs> but yeah but i love that support group so much i love carol i'm blanking on her name that i write it down because she's coming in to be one of the great horror actors of of the modern age um she's in terrified too so oh, Terrif Terrifier yeah. 1. Terrifier 1, sorry. Um, oh, and technically Terrifier 2 as well. Oh my gosh, I didn't even put it together that that's her. You're right. Yeah. She's very funny in this movie and just a little bit part. Yeah, I kind of wish it had more of that kind of stuff. Like, because uh, the whole movie is Renfield's been working for the worst boss in the world. He's had enough and he's kind of found himself in the support group because he thinks, well, if I kill their monsters, I can deal with my monster. And then sort of but if he kind of got, I want him to, I kind of wish he got involved with that community a little bit more. Um, and I thought that would have been a more of an interesting comedy of them having to band together to take out the big monster. But that's not what the movie is. And I'm still in that phase of, I want the movie to be slightly something else, not kind of just accepting what the movie, the movie itself is, like I did with The Invitation. Right. But I will get there. I probably will get there eventually. I mean, it's a vampire movie. I'm not, not going to rewatch it. <laughs> <laughs> well you don't you don't have to you don't have to come around on this movie it's totally fine to think it's just yeah. mediocre yeah um i i think i figured this out in my head i think this is the deal i can't say that the aquafina and thing of her dad and the drug dealer and stuff i can't say any of that is a great idea hmm. i can't totally like defend it that like it's all great but i think the deal is none of it bothers me and i like all the other stuff in the movie so much that like I totally accept the movie because there's just enough in it that I really like. And there's some stuff that like is not great. I would probably say is not a good idea, but I don't find like doesn't take away from the movie for me. doesn't bother me. Yeah. I think that stuff's still bothering me a little bit, but Nick Cage is Dracula is well he kind of has played a vampire because we just talked about vampires kissing how great that movie is but casting him as dracula is a stroke of genius like it's of course he's gonna play dracula and he does it so well the makeup in this movie is fantastic i, I love it how 
you can see him go for this green, almost moldy kind of mess to the height of his powers as he is at the end. Yeah, I so I, I, I talked a little bit earlier about how much I love actors and actors is really like the main reason that I love this. Well, I really like this movie. I'm not going to say I love this movie. Yeah, um, it's OK to just merely like a movie, guys. It's, it, can, actually, it, is. it actually it is OK. Yeah. Um, because I love Nicolas Cage and Nicolas holding this movie so much. I yeah. love their performances. And I I so on my letterbox, if you go to my letterbox right now, uh, the last two movies I've logged are both Dracula movies. Yeah. And if Hayden Gilbert notices it, then he's going to kill me. I don't know if he has um, because I rated the last voyage of the Demeter yeah. three stars. Yes. And I rated Renfield three and a half stars. Oh, he is so going yes, he, I... to come to Missouri for that specific. <laughs> I know. And like, here's what here's what I will say for why, as a huge Dracula fan, because I haven't even said it yet, Dracula is my favorite fictional character of all time. Mm. As a huge Dracula fan, the reason I like Renfield better than The Last Voyage of the Demeter is I like Dracula better in Renfield. <laughs> um, it, I love Nicolas Cage's Dracula so much. I love the performance. I think he's so great. Whereas in The Last Voyage of the Demeter... It's not that I dislike that Dracula. I just don't really feel like Dracula's in it because it's just a bat monster. So it doesn't really feel like it is Dracula, even though yeah. I technically know it is. But in this movie, I get my favorite fictional character of all time. And I get, I think, a great version of it. No, I, I see that point of view. I prefer Dementor, but more because I'm getting Nosferatu uh, Dracula. In, yeah, in, yeah, um, a little more I, for sure. Which I am fine with because I do love the design of Nosferatu. I think it is one of the best um vampire designs that has sort of come out of it um and i love the fact that it is um dracula on a boat like yes i know it kind of simplifies what the movie is but it is um dracula on a boat and he's hungry and he has an all-you-can-eat buffet and then you have this amazing Corey hawkins performance in it um so i would say i'm a little bit more on board with um demeter because it's giving me more that gothic fog kind of bat creature on a on a boat and but in terms of Dracula, I think Nicolas Cage gives a better Dracula performance because he is the character of Dracula. He is not this kind of mythic thing from um, Transylvania. He is the Bela Lugosi. He is the Christopher Lee. He is um, that kind of very charming, um, just that. I think you used to have the um, good evening. My name is Dracula. Um, when you did when the first iteration of cobwebs, you'd have that kind of soundbite oh, yeah. in there, and I love that soundbite so much in the um, in that for the horror of Dracula. He's so charming, but at the same time, you know he's going to kill you in a second. Like there is no doubt that as soon as you meet Christopher Lee, he is coming for you. Kind of the same with Bella Lugosi, and that is what Nick Cage is referencing in his performance so much. And I do love his performance. I think he's great. I think he is, um, again, just acting a lot and doing it really well. I love the dynamic he has with Holt. I love how they've kind of, um, I love that toxic relationship of what it would be like to actually be Redfield and it would suck because you're constantly just having to feed, I mean, this beast. And when I first saw the trailer, I was a little very kind of, um, I wasn't hugely excited about it once I saw the trailer because I thought, oh no, they're turning Renfield into a superhero, which I don't think they are. But also once what, what they do in the shadows has become really popular and one of the standouts, well, all they're all wonderful, uh, but um, Wormo's character, who is the familiar to Nandor, yeah. 
is um, kind of one of the stat breakout characters in that show, that him and Colin. Well, actually everyone, but that him becoming kind of the kick-ass um, familiar. I thought, okay, they're doing that. Um, and a little bit of that is in there, but I think the movie is its own more of its own thing than I, than I realized what they were marketing toward. They were just like, going, oh, but you like superheroes and you like what we do in the shadows. This movie is very different from that, which I think is why I enjoyed it a little bit more than I thought I was going in. I had very low expectations, mainly because I hated in that. Mm, right. Um, I, I will I will just say real quick, I reserve the right to change my mind about Renfield over Demeter, only because Demeter, when I went to see Last Voyage of Demeter in theater, it was the most wildly incompetent projection job I've ever seen in a movie theater. It looked like yeah. shit. And like, I could tell it's probably a great looking movie, but I couldn't really see it for myself. It's a great so, looking movie, um, but it is very dark. And if you get an yeah. incompetent projectionist, it's going to look just like looking through a very dark. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I, yeah, I get that, especially because Drax's always in the shadows and you're only getting little bits and bobs of him, even when he's at his height. Um, you're not getting a good look at him. Um, so no, that that is completely understandable. Yeah, so uh, I, I might change my mind. But um, yeah, I just think Cage, he, he accomplishes such a great hat trick in this movie because he is... I do take him seriously as a legit version of Dracula yes. as an actual, like scary snarling monster Dracula, but he's also kind of funny in this movie, but he's also like kind of charming and you like want to hang out with them in this movie. You do, and which is the Christopher Lee does, and Bella Lugosi. <laughs> yeah, he does so many things like all at once. And I think, I, I think it's really impressive. And just visually speaking, he's a great looking Dracula. Like he, he looks is. fantastic. And there have been a lot of, a lot of shitty looking Draculas on film and he's a great been. looking one. No, he embodies what Dracula is. And I'm not talking about a vampire. Those are two very different things. We're talking about a, about the character of Dracula. And I think he is embodying that perfectly. He's funny. He's charming. He's menacing. My favorite, one of my favorite jokes is when um, Renfield walks back into his apartment and uh, Drac is just sitting at the table. And then he realizes he has a welcome mat. <laughs> sitting in the... <laughs> um i giggled a lot actually that at that joke i was like oh that's perfect <laughs> <laughs> um redfield should have known that one he's like you could just see yourself like, oh i screwed up i want to be welcoming just not i shouldn't have been too welcoming but also what it does it kind of turns dracula into a narcissist which is my favorite part of the movie because it's a perfect way of looking at one the dynamic of the relationship between them but it also sort of i mean when Nick Cage is going full board like, oh, you're the victim? No, you wanted this. You asked for this. I'm the one who um, is the victim in this situation because you promised me all this and now you're backtracking. He's got, it's that really kind of great way of, oh, this, you can see why Renfield was charmed by him in the first place. You can see how Dracula's kept him under a spell and all that kind of thing. So I think it's such a good, yeah, he is the character of Dracula. Yeah. I really like that aspect of the movie too, about like Dracula as a narcissist and the whole thing about codependency, blah, blah, blah. Because there, there's been a lot of discussion in like movie circles and really just culture at large these days about how much of a message 
should dra- should movies have yes um and there's all these people and like it's become a very popular youtube genre now of people who just accuse every movie of shoving a quote-unquote woke agenda down our throats yeah. and every movie is all about pushing preaching to us and it's so much so that now you've got people on the side of the political aisle who usually don't make movies um making movies that are 100 just about delivering messages down your throats like nefarious yes. is a big one that came out this year yeah. so there's a lot of discussion about how much should movies do this and while these everything is a woke agenda people suck and they're very annoying sometimes movies do like shoehorn preachiness in where it doesn't really fit and like most of the time it doesn't really bother me that much like fine Mm. whatever but sometimes they do that and i do think this movie does a really good job of having a good message that's very organic in the story and it it just seems like if you want to tell a story about codependency and about abusive uh manipulating relationships it actually is a really good idea to use the dracula renfield relationship to do that and i think that was smart and they it's woven very organically through the movie. And I think it's really good. It actually works really well. I think it does as well, which is one of my favorite part. I think there's a, and I think those YouTubers kind of mistake themes in a movie for messaging. So I think there's a difference between a, a message and a theme. And I think this is just highlighting a theme that has always been with the Dracula Renfield relationship. Um, Dracula is a monster who needs people who who wants to drink blood and he needs a familiar like um Renfield and a familiar is a long concept it's been in witches it's been kind of in all through this occult history and it's a really interesting thing to pull up and actually kind of explore and yeah there are definitely movies where you're watching going oh well that wasn't that was shoved down my throat okay you did that but that is what you're doing it's never really bothered me I'm like yeah okay well that's why you made the movie and that's okay um this movie is just exploring a theme of what is actually this relationship. If we're going to do a movie about Renfield, what is the relationship he has with um, Dracula? Oh, it's absolutely codependency. It is this guy who's found himself, he made a pact with the devil, and now he's kind of, can you leave that relationship or, or are you always going to be tied with that? And that does lead out to the larger theme of toxic relationships. So, yeah, I think it's just a really interesting idea to pull out and kind of look at and make a movie out of um opposed to the whole well everything's work now everything's shit i'm like well have you actually watched movies it's always been like that i mean um, <laughs> charlie movies? chaplin got accused of that quite a bit in the 1930s it's like i liked it when you just made movies have you seen a charlie chaplin movie i mean it's 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 always about yeah it's that stuff has always bothered me I'm like it just have you seen a movie like that's what they do it's a visual medium you're always there are themes you might not like the theme, but it doesn't mean it's being th- th- uh, pushed down your throat. You can just not watch it <laughs> um, or you don't have to notice the theme about it. And then then you're surprised when the dirt, uh, filmmaker comes out and says something. Uh, guys, um, but yeah, and a lot of times these days they're not even let they they're not even going so deep as to even talk about themes. Like no. they're literally just like the existence of a non-white person or a woman is not in a subservient role, and like that's all it is. And then oh, like an agenda is yeah. being shoved down our throats. Just the existence of human beings is literally enough. Oh, I know. Oh, what they're having a woman as a superhero? How dare that? It's like there have been women superheroes since the thirties. Calm down, guys. It's not <laughs> like. 
you have other you can you still have batman batman is still a completely viable character it's not like he's going away <laughs> you it's get a fine. new actor playing batman like every year these <laughs> yes, days exactly it's fine um it's not it's kind of this weird thing of people don't realize i can just turn something off or just not watch something like it's the fact that it exists is horrifying um because i just saw the turtles movie yesterday which was just one of the most delightful things ever but the fact oh, i really want to see that oh my god everyone was getting up in arms at that april is a uh, woman of color but i'm like no no she's a slightly chubby teenager who's very awkward and i'm like oh my god i felt seen like that is i think i it's... heard that she originally was in the comics and like oh, it's actually she? comic yeah. accurate that's what i heard i don't know if that's true uh... I, I have never read a turtles comic neither have i um the art feels like it well it feels like a broad representation of all kind of um turtles kind of eras and i was just like oh my god this is my childhood <laughs> this is exactly my childhood i saw your tweet where you said yeah, <laughs> which i thought it was funny years. that seth rogan said we're really like focusing on the teenage element and you said it feels like a movie made by 40 year olds for 40 year olds and that's why i like it <laughs> i thought that was funny and it kind of it, it is and it isn't like i think there's so much kind of I hate the term geriatric millennial kind of references in it and you can kind of feel that someone in their 40s actually made this that I was just like well this is I'm going back to when I was eight years old now which is probably the point of the movie that it's taking you back to when you were younger but my younger happens to be of a very specific era when Turtles was at its height shall we say right like the cartoon and, and the original movie which is probably why I felt that way. But when you have Ice-T quoting in WA lyrics, I'm like, come on, guys, Sarah. <laughs> um, I love it. I love the movie. It's it's, it's incredibly charming. Um, it's wonderful and adorable. I'm excited and, to see it. No, it's it's really fun. Um, but yeah, this so, I guess, going back to um, Renfield, it's okay to look at those themes that are already kind of baked into the piece as is. They're not... It's not like they're reinventing the the story of Renfield and Dracula. That has always been in there. I mean, you watch what we do in the shadows with Guillermo and Nandor. It's the exact same relationship. It's just Guillermo's constantly standing up for himself and killing other vampires. So it's, mm -hmm. yeah. You want to talk about Dracula blood? <laughs> uh, smart blood. <laughs> it's come back. <laughs> Dracula blood sucks in this movie. I admit it. Because um, like, the scene where Dracula comes into the support group mm. and slaughters everyone, yeah, I think is amazing. And it's I was right. like blown away that they went there because it reminded me of another vampire movie that I really defend is Tim Burton's Dark Shadows, which that movie just kind of seems like a goofy comedy. But Johnny Depp as Barnabas Collins, he is slaughtering people in that movie. Like it's a blood fest and it's it really a legit is. blood fest that sticks in Dark Shadows. In this movie, yeah, he has that massacre, but then at the end, they're all back, and the support group leader literally says the most lazy line I've ever heard, where he's like, thank you for bringing us back with Dracula blood. It's really stupid. I, yeah, because I love the fact that they killed Aquafina's sister. Like, I thought, oh, that is really cool. They've actually, this is what a drug kingpin organization would do they wouldn't hold because it's like okay they're doing the whole hostage thing yes very 95 but they actually kill her and it lo what looks like a horrific way i mean same with the massacre in the support group it's horrific and then they just undo it with dracula blood and it sucks so much it's just like no just let it stick he's a monster he goes and kills people and so do um 
a organized crime unit, they kill people in really horrific ways. Let that stand. Because I was sort of watching it going, why is Akapio not upset that her sister died? Like, she should be kind of grieving more. Oh, no, wait, she's alive. And Dracula blood. Okay, okay. The movie just did this. Um, it feels like a studio note last minute. I don't know if it was yes. or if it was in the original, but it feels like a studio note of we need this to be happier so you can't kill everyone. Really people- does. And- yeah. Plus, Sorry. like, Lindsay, throughout uh, Dracula lore, what what traditionally happens when you drink Dracula's blood? Like in Bram Stoker's Dracula with Gary Oldman, when Gary Oldman cuts his chest for Mina to drink his blood, what happens when you drink Dracula's blood? You generally turn into a vampire. You turn into a vampire. Yes. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is you find out that Renfield had Dracula blood, which is why he kind of turned into this kind of semi- um mystical bug eating I, I, okay i admit i love the bug eating as a superpower thing but um <laughs> um it tickles me it's that kind of thing but to have them just be normal it's like no that's not how i mean you've already even in the movie you've established when you have the blood you turn into something else so what's going on with these people are they just normal now or do they have secret powers i mean it's it's such a lazy moment i was like oh come on guys like and I think it, because it happens at the end, I think that does leave a little bit of a bad taste in your mouth. So maybe you're questioning other things in the movie, like the whole gangster stuff. But yeah, I hate it so much. <laughs> it's the exact same as the end of Star Trek Into Darkness, when yes. it's just like, we gave you super blood and it brought you back to life. Yeah, that that is it. It's um, We gave you uh, smart blood and we you're now fine again. It's like, no, that's not how it works. You can't. I mean, there's a kind of a thing where in modern filmmaking, the stakes can be very low because no one truly dies in the movie. This is Marvel's fault. And this has always been a thing with Marvel. This is not just the movies. They will constantly just reclone you, bring you back. It's same with the comics. That's because um, the characters just are constantly evolving or rebooting or kind of whatever. And they're yeah, doing the it comics in... go on forever. And like, what exactly. are you going to do? You just you're have gonna... to reset over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, and that's fine. And that's kind of like the Doctor Who thing, but you choose a different actor and it kind of just keeps keeps going. But now because movies kind of rely on shorthands a little bit, they just keep bringing people back. It's kind of like, well, it doesn't mean anything. And there is so, it, they either do the thing where they just kill, constantly kill everyone off and it gets a little kind of like, okay, guys, can you stop just, can I have a character hanging around more than five minutes before you kill them in a show? Or it's the movie thing where, well, there's always bring someone back. So there's never going to be any kind of emotional stakes in anything whatsoever. And I'm just like, come on, guys, you can do better than that. You could have just let those characters die horrifically and make this into a dark comedy. It would have been fine, but they didn't. And that's the ending that we got. Yeah. So it's it's definitely a flawed movie, has its problems. Yeah. Totally acknowledge that. I just have a lot of fun with it. I think it's a great time. But, and I, I think it great, looks great visually, too. I like all the the colors and the lighting to it. It's very interestingly lit. I think it's very pretty. It is very pretty, except when they're in the building with the gangster stuff. But that's because I'm already glaring at it a little bit. Um, but in, yeah, anytime Nick Cage is on stage, he kills it. I love Nicholas Holt in this movie. I When I have fun with this movie, I have fun with it. And then it will do something. I'm like, oh, come on, guys. But... Um, I don't think it's as bad as Hayden and Matt say it is, but I don't know if that's because they were expecting something different walking in and didn't get it, or if they just generally disrupt them the wrong way. 
I don't know if anything is as bad as Hayden makes this movie out to be. <laughs> but it's, it's partially because he has a very personal vendetta against Nicolas Cage for specific reasons. <laughs> so he was never going to like this movie because Matt surprised me because I'm like, you love Nick Cage. This I still been- don't. I, I don't know. I hate to call out our friends when they're not here to defend yes. themselves. But I, I've said to Matt before that, like, it surprises me that he doesn't like this movie because a lot of things in this movie strike me as, oh, that's a thing Matt would like. Yes. I, I don't know. That's what I thought I as I well. I don't get it either. But they can't. They're not here to particularly defend themselves. So, um, yeah, I don't want yeah. I don't want to call people out like Mark Warner always calls me out. Oh, Hayden. Every time he goes, uh, Dan, I'm like, OK, here it comes. <laughs> um it's all good all good no it is i would say there are parts in there that work but i think there was a lot of um hype because nicholas cage was playing dracula that i think a lot of people put a lot of what they wanted on this movie and we got something completely different where you just have to go this is the movie that we got i think it's a deeply flawed movie um and i still do it because i'm like can we just stay in the support group with carol hating herself i love that's my favorite parts of the movie um, poor Carol. She deserved none of that. Um, and nobody cares about Carol's problems. <laughs> For some reason, she's the one person nobody gives a shit about. Exactly. She's like the Jerry. Speaking of Parks and Rec. Exactly. She's the Jerry. And but I think when it's just Holt and Drac, I think that is when that movie works. And I, yeah, I, I, I don't think there are very few movies that are completely irredeemable. And this is not the worst movie of the year. So. That is a ridiculous statement to those who have made it. <laughs> Your final word on this movie is, it's not completely irredeemable. <laughs> Put it on the poster. Exactly. Quote, not completely irredeemable. Um, anything else you want to say about Renfield before we finish? The only thing I haven't actually said is uh, I haven't addressed the criticism that a lot of people put against it is that Nicolas Cage isn't in it enough. He's not in it that much. <sighs> and for me, I didn't feel that. Because while I do think Nicolas Cage is the best thing about this movie, very close on his heels is Nicholas Holt. Yes. And I have not in the past been a big Nicholas Holt fan. I think mostly because I don't really like him as Beast in the X-Men movies. I much prefer yeah. Kelsey. Yeah, I much prefer Kelsey Grammer as Beast in, in X-Men 3. Um, but I have become a big Nicholas Holt fan because of the menu, which you already mm-hmm. talked about, and this movie. Mm. And in this movie, he reminds me so much of 90s Hugh Grant. Like which is funny because he started his career working he with did. Hugh Grant and about yeah. a boy. Um, but he has like become Hugh Grant over time. And I'm a huge Hugh Grant fan. So I found him incredibly charming in this movie. So I was never watching this movie like, oh, when's Nicolas Cage going to come back? Because I love watching Nicholas Holt and who's the main character. Um, yeah, so that's one yeah, reason I liked it. You're right. He is really, really Hugh Grant. He's got that kind of floppy kind of sen- sensibility about him. He's also really good in a movie called Warm Bodies where he plays a zombie um, who falls in love with a girl. It's a very sweet, another Romeo and Juliet-esque kind of. I saw that. That was another movie that kind of got thrown aside. There are a lot of movies I realized recently that got completely dismissed because people even sniffed a hint of Twilight around them. Yes. And I and now I'm realizing that like I need to go back and like rewatch or watch these movies that just got thrown out for no reason other than the fact that I think it's maybe kind of, kind of like Twilight. It really did. And those were one of that movie, but... It's like, oh no, it's zombies, but Twilight. It's like, actually, no, it's more just of a sweet zombie movie. And you have Nicholas's Hulk narration. 
which is actually kind of very much like the narration in about a boy that Hugh Grant is giving because he's kind of talking about his day and how boring it is to be a zombie. <laughs> also, it's got real life vampire Teresa Palmer because her appearance hasn't changed in like 20 years. No, it really, no. Crazy. <laughs> This is the reason why she does not stand in sunlight because she will glitter. Um, <laughs> it's yeah, so that is definitely worth a watch. I think he's very sweet, but he's got this foppish kind of quality about him that really works for this Renfield. This kind of wide-eyed innocence of him, kind of yeah. I really like Holt in this movie, and I really do enjoy Holt. Um, I agree, he's not great as Beast. I think he's trying. I just don't think he could. He's not. What do you think the character of Beast is to begin with, which is always really hard when you're working with that kind of established character? Yeah, yeah, I agree. But yeah, uh, yeah that's that's pretty much all I had to say about Renfield. Um, it's not a movie I love. It's not a movie I think is perfect, but uh, I like it. I think it's fun. And I appreciate you giving me the uh, opportunity to just defend it a little bit. No, because I think sometimes you do need to defend those those movies. And when I think it works, it works. When it doesn't, it really doesn't. It's got Dracula blood. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, before we go, please tell people where they can find your good work, including your YouTube and your vlog. Yeah, check out my YouTube channel, The Cobwebs Channel, where I talk about older movies. I talk about Blu-rays. I do a lot of different stuff and uh, I have a good time. Uh, and then check out the Cobwebs podcast because right now what I'm doing is a series on John Carpenter. It's called Master Carpenter. I'm going through all of Carpenter's theatrical movies in order and pairing them all with an older movie that was an influence on it. So the last movie was on Halloween with Hitchcock's Shadow of a Doubt. And the next episode is on The Fog paired with, um, well, I'm not going to say quite yet, but it's paired with a 1950s horror movie that um, Carpenter talked about being an influence. I had never seen that movie, so I'm going to have to hunt that down and watch it before the episode because that cool. sounds very, very exciting. Um, no, you're doing really good work. I'm loving the Carpenter series. I, I um, cannot wait to hear more of it. Can't wait. I'm actually kind of more excited with my episode. I'm actually more excited to talk about the pairing than I am my Nick Carpenter episode. Um, oh, okay. I mean, the pairing is a great movie. So oh, that's, that's such totally a cool. good movie. Yeah. Um, but no, definitely. It's absolutely amazing. Um, thank you for listening to Schlock and All. Um, you can find us at Schlock and All One on most of the socials and also Reading Geek. Yeah, on all the things. And yeah, rate and review if you want to as well, I guess. And yeah, we will be back with another double feature. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye.